here Bruce to see you and, uh, and you're learning quickly what the State Fair is all about. We'll, we'll hear from uh, Sweet Martha's. Uh, we're here with Bruce Boudreaux. This is Michael Russo from The Athletic. Br just brought over a bucket full of cookies at 10 a.m. Yeah, and they'll be gone by 12. Yeah, I think what we're going to do is we'll, we'll have like trivia contests throughout the show. If you ask a question, you get a cookie. If you get a question right, you get a cookie. If you stump us, you yes. get two. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have a little Bruce Boudreaux uh, trivia contest later for also for athletic swag. So you better might want to Google Bruce Boudreaux and, uh, do, and do a little uh, trivia right now. Look, people are just bringing you all sorts of stuff now. That's just straight Diet Coke, by the way. I don't want anybody getting any ideas. <laughs> Put a little rum in there. <laughs> you know, I got here at like 8 a.m. I walk in. First of all, it's, it's a beautiful day. Little crisp in the air. It feels like hockey season coming, right around the corner. And the first thing I see is a—I mean, it had to be an eight-year-old girl holding a turkey leg at 8 a.m. And <laughs> well, I, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that because we walked in at nine and somebody was eating a pork chop, and I'm going, "What's going on here?" <laughs> I, I, it really is like this. This place—you do stuff that it's like when I went to Italy, and you know, you're drinking wine like constantly throughout the day your first course is pasta and all of a sudden you realize at the end of that trip after you gain a bunch of weight that you got to come back here and like get out of that habit there's got to be like a state fair detox that that has to happen right after pretty much starting tomorrow well i would think if you came more than once is it it's a possibility if you come once you're just going home and you just don't want to see that kind of food anymore for a while. The only thing I've ever, so there are two things and there are people here that know me that can attest to this that I've ever bought here, and this is sad, is, is coffee and you know those tur juicy turkey sandwiches like right behind us there? Yes. They're unbelievable. But I'm surprised you've even bought those two. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you haven't gone around asking uh, somebody or some knowing somebody that you could get something for free there. But that's just me. Well, yeah, that's that's that. a good point. I kind of walk around. I did have a like uh, b behind uh, backstage at the Trampled by Turtles concert last week, and I did have a, a I noshed on some broccoli and celery and stuff. That a boy. Yeah. So Bruce Boudreaux is here for three hours. How did this all come about? I remember us uh, talking at Coon Rapids. We were, I was there, out there, doing a... Actually, I went to get Nick Sealer, I think. I think you went to see Nick Sealer, and we ended up um, talking hockey school. Uh, Brady was having his, his hockey school there, and then we started talking radio, and I said uh, something to the effect that, you know, uh, I went to... I, I used to do uh, one in Toronto on the sports station... Uh, every time I'd come into town, I'd go with Gordy Stellick, and he said, you want to come with me? And you were right there, so I couldn't say no. So <laughs> I said yes, and here I am today. 
Three hours. Do you know what your voice is going to say? Is this, this going to be like after this three hours, it's going to be like the first day of training camp voice? Or I'm just getting in shape for training camp, but I don't think I'll be doing the yelling today that I will be doing um, come two weeks from today. You know, two weeks from today is the beginning of training camp. Or not pretty much. Uh, actually, it was two weeks from a couple days ago, Thursday. It, well, we're actually in, in hockey mode right now. I mean, <clears throat> we're in the office every day other than the Labor Day weekend, and I think Thursday... We go to Traverse City for rookie camp. So, I mean, uh, and then once we come back home from that, we're just uh, uh, a prep away from, from getting going on training camp. What was your best part of doing the radio shows with Gordy? You know, it was fun. <clears throat> he would uh, end up telling, uh, we would tell, tell stories about Gordy Stellick started, who used to be the GM of uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs in the mid-'80s, but he was also the youngest general manager on, uh, ever in the NHL. And so, uh, but when he started, he was sort of a stats guy. And when I was with the Leafs, I, I like, I, no one would sit with me. So I sat with Gordy, and we ended up becoming good friends. And then um, uh, when he got his job, uh, I was still with the Leafs. He traded for me when I was in the minors, but I keep giving him crap because I had an option year, and he didn't accept the option year. And he said he forgot all about it, but I'm a little dicey on that one. What was the story? Wasn't there a story where you had a chance to get a Fighting Saints contract, but you were like, they couldn't get in touch with you, and it really turned your career into a little bit of an upside down? Well, I was drafted by the Minnesota Fighting Saints in 74 as their first pick, and they were trying to sign trying to sign me and and I had planned with my girlfriend at the time to go on a 17-day canoe trip up uh, northern Canada where we would canoe uh, canoe up with the uh, and camp out you know there was a group of us and then we would come back down the river and during those 17 days they signed four centermen so I mean we were negotiating before but with no cell phones and this is 1974 summer of 70 summer of 74 at this time, that, uh, uh, you know, they didn't get a hold of me, and so they ended up signing four guys. So instead of winning the Memorial Cup, which is Canadian Junior uh, Championship the next year, I would have, if I hadn't have gone on this trip, probably been a mem- member of the, the Fighting Saints for a year earlier. So it actually worked out a little bit in terms of winning the Memorial Cup. and Yeah, you never know. You, you don't know if it... If it uh, would have benefited your career um, or not, I mean, uh, quite frankly, I didn't drink back then. Um, <laughs> but then, when you won the Memorial Cup, I was 21. You started it. I might not have done that if I had have played in Minnesota that year. And that was on the famed Marleys. And it's yeah. funny when it, you know it's like first name drop here. When, whenever I talk to Gretzky and he talks about you as a junior player, he says that you were an absolute superstar. Broke. And he wound up breaking all your records in junior. But when he talks about you, he talks about idolizing you because you won that Memorial Cup with his favorite team because he wanted to be a Marley. Well, it's, it's really funny. I mean, uh, uh, well, I don't know if it's funny, but it's, it's for me, I, I met Wayne uh, about, you know, 10 years ago. But uh, just to, this might take five minutes for this story. Yeah, that's but, fine. Um, but I was in Vancouver at one point. And I got a call, and uh, it was Wayne Gretzky, and he says, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I'm. We got a game tomorrow, so I'm just taking it, taking it easy." And he says, "No." He says, "Come on over. Uh, I'm at the the hotel next to you." And 
and uh, come on over and we'll want to have a drink with you. So went over there, had a drink with them, and what I didn't realize... First of all, didn't he have to, like, like beg you to come out? Like, yes. you didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to come out, yeah. but <laughs> the story was Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky phoned me when I was coaching um, in the minor. No, I think I was... Yeah, I was coaching in the minors, and uh, he phoned me, and my wife picked up the phone and said it, and it said it's Wayne Gretzky, and I said, well, I'm having my game nap. Tell him I'll call him back. And so I woke up, and I said, what, what am I, stupid? Like, this is Wayne Gretzky on the phone. So when he phoned me this time, then I said, I'll call you right back, and I phoned my wife, and he said, she said, don't be an idiot. You go out with Wayne Gretzky tonight. So I went out. And what I didn't realize is, like you said, that uh, when I was playing junior hockey, he idolized me, and I was his favorite player. And uh, he, if if you remember him, he had tape on his stick from the from blade to blade, and he put white powder on it. He said, "I did it because you did it." And he said, uh, "I uh, always had my shirt tucked in my pants because you did it." And like I was really taken taken aback that this was Wayne Gretzky saying I was his hero. Uh, growing up, and, uh, um, and and we sparked a friendship, and that's uh, it's been going on. And and just to let you know, the kind of guy that he was is when I got fired in Anaheim on a Friday. Friday afternoon, he phoned me and he said, "Hey, Bruce, let's get away from all of this." He says, "I want you to come up uh, to my golf course uh, next week, and we'll just have a great day and forget about hockey and and do and and we'll we'll have some fun." Because he knew that what it's like when you yeah. when you lose your job, and I and this is out of the blue where I hadn't talked to him in a year, and uh, I just thought, man, this guy has got so many people to talk about and and to do and so many things to do it, and he's reaching out to me at this time. I thought that was pretty special. And what the cool part of that story is is that the, basically the same day that you were fired from the Anaheim Ducks, Chuck Fletcher calls you and says, "I'd like to interview you for the Wild opening." By the way, I was buying a car on the day you were fired. And when it crossed the ticker, I called my editor and I sprinted home because I'm like, we got to write a story because obviously you were going to be the leading candidate. But you actually told Chuck, come to California, but I'm not available on the Wednesday. And that's, and that's what happened. Fresh. You know, he came to, he flew into California, which I thought was really great. And then uh, Ottawa phoned me the same day and they wanted to do an interview Wednesday and I had to decline because I said, I'm not giving up this golf date with Gretzky. Amazing. So, yeah. Yep. We're going uh, to do this. We're going to take a break. We're going to see why he's called Gabby, by the way, because he loves to talk. And we got story after story to talk about. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild. We're going to have a Bruce Boudreaux trivia contest. Mark Parrish is coming by the fair with his kids in the last hour. I think, I'm gonna, I think pop Mark Parrish on the, uh, on the microphone, and we're going to surprise him because I'm going to tell a story when I covered him his rookie year in Florida where he got in a lot of trouble by his coach. And I want to see if you would have handled it the exact same way. Do that. And then a good friend of, uh, of Bruce Boudreaux is going to join us in about uh, 45 minutes from now, John Walton, the uh, play-by-play guy for the radio for the Washington Capitals. It was in you, with you in the minors as well. Yeah, and he's probably got some stories that I don't know if yeah. they would want to hear. <laughs> We're going to try to get Crystal and Brady to come on here too. We'll have a, maybe a little good old-fashioned good old Bruce Boudreaux roast at some point. We see a lot of friends of yours. I see uh, one of your players for the Minnesota Blue Oxes here. Bailey is over there. Yep, there. There you go. There he is. Good. Get ready for the season. <laughs> Don't eat too much today. 
The, when do they start? They start. They, in a start, days. they have a preseason game uh, in Coon Rapids on Thursday, and then I think they start around the twenty second of September. Okay, so Belly's gonna have to. He's gonna have to be ready. Yep. Be be a little careful today around the state fair. We'll be back on the fan. The fan at the fair is presented by Mystic Lake. Mike Russo from The Athletic back here at the fan booth at the State Fair. Final day of the State Fair. 12 days of, uh, of this. This is my fifth time coming out here, I think, which is by far the most. Uh, and I'm not even at the Strib anymore, although I did go over there and get some free chapstick. <laughs> Traffic on. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't wear it around me. <laughs> Bruce Boudreau here. Uh, I'm, see- I'm seeing uh, my friend Dan out there is wearing a, a Met Center uh, T-shirt. You played at the Met Center, didn't you? I did play at the Met Center, and um, it's coincidental. I, I had one hat trick in the NHL, and it was at the Met Center um, back in 1981. And uh, obviously you were first star in that game. No, I was not the first star. You know what? It really bothers you when you get your only hat trick in history. You win 8-3. to three, and you're the third star of the game. And I just got called up, too. So it was like a, a young guy getting called up, getting a hat trick, and two other guys got, got the stars in front of me. What was your, like, it had to be tough at times in your career just to be the, kind, the guy that you knew you were going up and down. Because back then there was no way, there were no waivers, right? I mean, if oh, there, ju- was, there was waivers at the beginning of the year, I think. But, I mean, I don't think there was waivers to go up and down. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you know, in, in other words... If somebody is on waivers or in the NHL, any team can pick them. You were pretty much relegated between going between the Maple Leafs and the Marlies for a long, long time, right? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and I guess when you think about it, in, in today's rules, there was the one year that I had, I had 29 points in, uh, I think, 37 games or something, playing fourth-line guy, and they sent me down, and I probably would have gotten picked up in today's world, but I didn't, and... Uh, uh, that was the way it was back then, so, you know, what are you going to do? Unbelievable. So you're getting ready for training camp here. Um, biggest question right now coming into camp is probably how Ryan Suter's health. Well, how is Ryan Suter's health? You know health? what, I, it's a good question, and I went and saw him um, skate on Thursday, and, you know, he was doing uh, stops and starts from the top of the circle, get uh, get a shot and and shoot it, then go skate, stop to the bottom uh uh, the goal line come back, and he did ten pucks in a row, and he looked just like Ryan Suter. And uh, um, I talked to him after, and I asked him how how he felt. He said he felt great, and uh, as, that's my first impression. I'll go watch him skate tomorrow. I mean, the, the whole team will probably be out there skating in a captain's practice. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, he looked as good as he can as, as he's going to be, and uh, uh, or how we. Uh, how we expect him to be, so I don't have any 
questions uh, about Ryan at this point. How um like how will you handle him in camp though? I mean, I assume that he will not be in your skating test on uh, day one, right? Well, that's what the first thing he said was. He says I got two things. He says I'm feeling really good, but I don't know if I can make that first day's practice because <laughs> he didn't want to do the skating test. And he said, but by and opening night I'll be ready. In other words, he didn't want to play in any preseason games. So, uh-huh. I mean, he's he's doing his lobbying already. But I told him, I said, listen, you don't have to do the skating test. I mean, and it, uh, and then he started sitting there and he went, hmm, if I do do the skating test and pass it, then everybody will be quiet and not talk about me. And I said, yeah, that's a, that's a good point, too. He says, well, maybe I'll do the skating test then. So, I mean, he's, uh, he's wavering uh, whether to do it or not. And... Uh, but I'm pretty sure, pretty confident in my mind that he's going to be ready for the season. And that, I mean, to me, I'm sure that's you're all for that. I mean, the, the goal is for him not to be ready for day one of camp or day three for the preseason. It's it's to be ready opening night or even just if it takes a little longer. Just to, I mean, your goal is to make sure he's healthy this season. I just want him at 100. percent I mean, uh, uh, if you if you think that not everybody plays 82 games in a season, uh, Ryan's one of the few that have played almost every game that he's been here. But, I mean, if he had to miss a week uh, to make him, uh, make him better, you, you can't uh, afford to lose a player that plays between 25 and 30 minutes and is your number one defenseman for any length of time. And Ryan is that, and uh, he's our rock back there, and uh, we, we just want him healthy, and we think we'll get him healthy uh, sooner than later. Now, I have written about your arduous, crazy skating test many, uh, two years in a row now. And for the fans that don't know it, can you give kind of a, a sneak peek of exactly what you, what you do to these guys? And what I'm always fascinated by is that it is the Ryan Suiters and the Eric Stalls that seem to just fly by it. It's not the speedsters necessarily. Well, it's, it's, first of all, it's not a crazy test. It's a little bit nuts. No, it's not. It's... I, I remember the first year Pat Canoni okay, was me, going. We and might have and an he, argument here. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and he's going up and he can barely breathe, and you're like, don't go dying on me. Well, the, and the thing is, I've never, I had never met Pat Canoni. okay? <laughs> and what I want to see and what coaches want to see is how serious are you about making the team? So how did you train this summer? Mm-hmm. And... And obviously he didn't train very hard, thinking he's going to go to the minors right away. And he failed the, the skating test. And But it's, it's an interesting story why I do this. When I was with Chicago in, you know, in 87, um, Roger Nielsen, who's one of my favorite coaches and people of all time, he used to, make, he used to send us something out in June, and he'd say, um, the first day of training camp, you're either running 5.5 miles and you have to do it in under 39 minutes, or you're riding uh, um, 26.5 miles in a bike in a bike test, and you've got to do it in a certain time. Well, I chose the run, so I ran all summer, all summer long, and I was really good at it. I think I came in third in the test, but I had shin splints where I couldn't go on the ice for three days. Mm-hmm. I get on the ice day four, and they cut me. So, I mean, I wasted a whole summer of doing something that really wasn't conducive to ice hockey uh, training, and I said, if I'm ever going to train and or let guys train, let's do it where they're on the ice and getting in hockey shape at the same time. So when I started coaching, I'd do this test, and uh, you guys sit there and train. I've got, I get guys, we uh, send out a, an email in early July and that says, okay, um, 
We don't need any more cookies. <laughs> Sweet Martha's just brought a second bucket of cookies. So and put them put them by Mike. I know he's lost a lot of weight, but <laughs> I wouldn't say a lot of weight. But um, uh, where was I? I'm trying to pass your skating test in a couple days. I don't think I can. Yeah, use any no, more no. So wh- what did I? What was I talking about? I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, the smell of the waffle yeah, smell of cookies. <laughs> that is an overflowing etching into of my brain right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, you were talking about uh, about just training for for this. Yeah, like I mean, doesn't it make sense that if you're yeah. going to train, let's train on the ice. Let's be the best skaters yeah. uh, or the the best conditioned team at the start. And you know, I get we'd send out an email in early uh, July and it says exactly what we're going to do. So you've got all summer to train for right. it, all summer to be ready for it. And when I asked Roger Nielsen uh, why we did this training uh, or type of training, and he said, listen, a coach, as, as a coach, I have to know whether you are serious in being ready for the hockey season. So we have to put something together to see if you worked hard in the offseason. And if you can't pass it uh, or come close to passing it without collapsing, then we know that you've at least worked hard. And, you know, quite frankly, if you do a really good job at it, the, the coach is going to give you a – it can't help uh, but uh, – uh, give you a little edge in comes uh, the practice. And w- what are the times again? Okay, w- what what it is? It's it doesn't sound mu- like much, but I mean, it's it's goal line to goal line times two and times two and a half. Okay, so you go goal line to goal line, stop. You have to stop back to the goal line, back to the goal line again, and then through the red line, and then you you stop. And the first one you have to do it in under thirty seven seconds. Okay, and then the last, the next two, you do it under 39 seconds, and so you get, and with a two-minute break in between. And when you accomplish that, uh, if you accomplish that feat in, in uh, the three of them, then you don't have to do the last two. Right. If you don't, you have, and what's it's sort of a, a crime is if you can't do the first three, yeah, the last not. two really look really yeah. tough on you, and because you start cramping up because you're not in in good enough shape, but it really tells the coaches of who worked and who didn't work. Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, I mentioned, you know, you'd think that, like, it's always the Zuckers or the Spurgeons or those, t- or the Dumbas, and they, they trust me, they, they, they breeze through this, but what I'm always shocked at is, is the Ryan Suiters and the, and the Eric Stahls. I remember Stahl let it, right? He You're, blew it away, yeah. and, 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 and it has nothing to do with speed. Yeah. It has everything to do with endurance, and you can go the same speed on, on, on all the laps, and you'll be fine. And then at the end of it, we take your blood. And mm-hmm. um, I'm still not 100% <laughs> what they do. But you can tell whether you uh, expended 80% of your energy, 100% of your energy, or 60% of your energy. And so you'll know that how much room you can go to be still improve yourself. So it's a, it's a pretty good test. Then, then um, the Canadian um, Olympic team started using this. Yeah. And they... They, they still use it to this day, as far as I know. So It's, it's funny. My first year, and we're going to take a break, but my uh, two years ago, your first year with the Wild, we're watching your skating test, and I was watching Victor Bartley and, and Pacanoni struggle through this, and Eric Stahl breezed through, and I turned to Dane Mizzitani, who's the Pioneer Press beat writer next to me, and I said, that's how you know why Eric Stahl is who he is and wh- where the career minor leaguers are. I mean, those guys... You know, they, they've got talent, Canoni and Bartley, in the minors, but they've been there forever, and, and there you go. I mean, there's a difference between those two guys. And, and it's a perfect example, quite frankly. Yeah. And 
And there's a, a story to, to be said about that if we have a minute. When, yeah. When I got called up, I think my first time, um, Daryl Sittler, who's a Hall of Famer, played with the Maple Leafs, I would go to practice and I would get on two minutes before it, and then when practice was over was I'd get off two, uh, two minutes after. And I remember Daryl running after me in the hall. And the first thing, he says, where are you going, kid? And I said, well, practice is over. He said, and he's, he looked at me and he pointed right in my chest. He says, listen, I'm the best player on this team. I'm the captain. And I'm the first guy on the ice and I'm the last guy off the ice. That's why I'm doing it. You've got to get your butt out there and start working extra hard. And that's what uh, uh, it really took me aback. And obviously I took his, took his advice. But, I mean, that's probably the, the main difference between guys that mm-hmm. play in the minors and guys that, that uh, are in the NHL is paying the price of doing what it takes to play at that level. And I was shocked, uh, you know, how when, when I got to the NHL years, years later as a coach at how hard NHL players work to get in shape and to stay in shape and how they do the right things with their body and it's uh it's it's amazing whereas the minor league guys might have just as much talent but they don't want to pay that extra price yeah amazing um and and definitely a good message uh, as we go into camp as well here we're going to do this we're going to take a break but we're going to bribe the people up here next segment we're going to have you guys come up to this microphone ask questions you get a cookie for it Ask a super good question. I might even give you two or three cookies. But we got two buckets of Sweet Martha's uh, cookies here that we must give away. We got uh, still John Walton to come. We have Mark Parrish that's going to jump on. We're going we're gonna to sabot- We're gonna. We absolute- could give the bucket away if yeah, it's we- a really good question. Yeah, really good. And, and you know what? I, I might. There's a chance with the corner of my eye I see Kevin Gorg. Maybe we can convince him to come on. We'll be back on the fan. FM 100.3, the fan at the State Fair. from The Athletic back here on The Fan. Bruce Boudreaux here. We're not even done with the first hour, Bruce, and you got two and, two and a, about a quarter left? Two and a half? Is that it? <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. We're going to start uh, questions from the audience. We've got a large group of Wild fans here. Two gigantic buckets of uh, Sweet Martha's cookies. I only see one. Oh, I put one down there. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. Here, I'll, I should put this one No, 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 I put it to you <laughs> over there. <laughs> What's your name? Where are you from? Um, I'm Ryan Sold, and I'm from um, Plymouth, Minnesota. Nice. And my question is, how are you going to use Charlie Coyle this year? Good question. It's a real good question. That's a four-cookie question right there. Four cookies. Um, you know what? I'm really, really looking forward to seeing Charlie this year. I know he was disappointed in his numbers last year, um, but he, you know, I mean, it's the first time he's ever had injuries that sort of derailed what he what he can really do. So, I mean... Uh, I'm planning on using him on right wing. I'm planning right now to start. He's either going to start with Zach and Miko, or he's going to start with Greenway and um, um, 
Erickson Eck. Either way, I think uh, uh, he's going to be used in a penalty-killing role, in a regular role, and he'll probably uh, play a lot. And uh, if if he's what I think he is, and uh, which I think is a very good hockey player and determined because of last year, I think he'll have a great year this year. So uh, deciphering from that, that means Nino is either on the right wing with, with Greenway and Erickson Eck or... Or uh, Parisian and and Koivu? Yeah. Okay. I knew you were. You know what? I wasn't expecting you to throw that <laughs> little for the caveat scoop. into that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's uh, uh, that's where it looks like he's going to end up right now. I mean, we can always use Charlie at center, by the way. Uh, but right now, I think uh, uh, right wing would be best suited for him. Gotcha. Name and where are you from? My name is Kevin. I'm from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Ah, Eric, are you related to Aristotle? You have to be, right? Everybody from Thunder Bay. Is... I know who he is. Okay. Um, my question, uh, Bruce, is I know that you have, um, I've, I've heard your new general manager talk about the relationship you have with him, but I'd like to hear from you what, what your relationship, what you think about him, how things are going on that front. With, with who? With the new general manager. My relationship with the new general manager? That's a half a cookie question. Yeah. And I, think it's, I think it's very good. I think we're both... You know what? We've both known each other for like 30 years, and uh, without knowing um, each other. In other words, I think we're both people that really follow the game a lot, and and uh, statistics. And, and and Paul was in the minors up and down for a long time, even though he ended up playing in the NHL for a long time. But when you're when you're a scout or an assistant GM, you travel the minors an awful lot, and obviously that's where we've seen each other. But um, uh, and we have one really good mutual friend, but I didn't get to know him until until uh, he he signed on here, and we went to dinner the first night. I had his family over for dinner, and I thought we got along really well. And hopefully, this continues. Um, you know, uh, as as a relationship goes, I think we talk a lot, and I think what, the other thing is is that we listen to each other. And I've told him what I what I think about in in players, and he's told me what he wants. As, as an organization, as a team, and I think we're trying to combine the two and, and get to a happy, happy situation. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a really good relationship, and I hope it lasts a long time. So you think we should go one by one, each player, and find out what Bruce thinks of them? Uh, no, no, because <laughs> I know where you were leading with that. <laughs> Hi, Mickey. Coach. I'm uh, Kirk Matson. I'm from uh, North Branch. I was wondering. Um, have you heard anything about Luke Cunning, and uh, do you expect him to uh, make the team? And if he does, where would he be playing? Well, actually, I've heard a lot about Luke Cunning, and um, uh, I've seen him a lot this summer, as a matter of fact, probably more than I've seen any other player. And the reason that, it, that I've seen him the most is, is he's always training and rehabbing uh, and at the office and, or at XL or uh, as recently at Tria, where we go, but um, his leg is coming along fine. He's skating. He works tremendously hard. And and if you knew Luke at, at all, that you knew that he was going to work extremely hard to get back uh, in in ready for the the season. If he's going to be ready, it's like a six to eight month injury, and right now it's just over five months. I mean, uh, he's probably skating fine and feeling fine. But at his age, uh, I know, and we've talked to him about this. That I mean, we want to make sure he's a hundred percent before we get back. So you know what? He's pushing for to be there in training camp and practicing with us. I hope he is, but I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna rush him. And when he does come on, he's another 
a guy that played center at Wisconsin, but we probably look at him more as a right winger. And he, I mean, there's a good chance he's going to have to start in Iowa, right? I mean, he's going to have to be patient. Well, I think so. I think there's a, there's a, a good chance. I mean, let's get this right. If anybody comes to camp and blows us away, then I, I think it's incumbent on us to make the best team possible that we have. Mm-hmm. And if somebody, if Luke comes in, he's given the green light for contact, and he's given the green light to play, and he's great, he, I can't see him not starting. Mm-hmm. If if it's if it's okay, listen, you know you're starting, but we've got to get you some games in. Then you got to he's got to go to the minors. Then he'll have to go to the minors. But that goes true for anywhere. If if Kyle Rao comes in, if somebody comes in that's just an invite, and all of a sudden we play him in a preseason game and he scores two the first night, and we say, hey, we got to play him again. He scores two the next night, mm-hmm. and he continues doing this stuff. Then we're, we'd be stupid not to to make him a, a, a part of our team. Name and where you're from. Uh, Tim Godfrey from St. Paul. Uh, I got a state of the hockey question. Okay. Uh, I know you're connected with the junior program here in Minnesota. How do you see the junior program developing here, how it's going to fit with the youth hockey and the high school hockey as, as the juniors continue to evolve? You know, it, it's, I'm not really extremely well-versed on this, but the, when we started thinking of putting a junior team together, it was, it was that gap between high school hockey and whether they were going to college to play uh, that we thought we could satisfy you know the 17 or 18 to 21 where kids you know still want to play but they weren't good enough for a division one team but they still wanted to be looked at by scouts and still develop to that chance so that's where we started and there's quite um, frankly there's a few teams in the Minnesota area that, that are doing this now, I think uh, as far as, uh, again, I think high school hockey is the preeminent thing here in, in this state, whereas in the state of New York, it probably wouldn't be. It would be U18, AAA, and, and as such. But uh, uh, I think the youth hockey is catching up for sure. And that's because so many Minnesotans play hockey. And... Uh, and they love it, and I think that's great. The more the growth of this game, especially in this state, is phenomenal, and I want it to continue. Mark? Hey, Coach. Mark from Apple Valley. Just wondering how you ended up on the movie Slapshot. Well, it's uh, more because I'm an idiot. <laughs> but it's, it's an interesting story. Can I tell it? Yeah. Okay. I was, um, I was playing for the, the Fighting Saints, and... Uh, uh, when the team folded here, like I was in Johnstown at the start of the year uh, for the first 10 games or so, and then me and Paul Holmgren got called up to Minnesota. Or, uh, I, he, got sent to, he signed with Philadelphia, and I got called up. And when they folded, my agent at the time said, uh, listen, you were drafted by Indianapolis in the expansion draft here, and you can go there. But he said, they're uh, fiscally not really that that uh, strong right now he says we'll sign you with the Leafs next year why don't you just go down to Johnstown and finish out the season and, and make that and where they're making that movie and have some fun well like I mean that sounds great at, at the time here but I mean I could have signed with Toronto right then and got an extra year uh, of them seeing me play in the NHL or playing in, the, in their uh, number one minor league 
team, but so I think I made the wrong decision. But it it um, ended up a lot of fun. I mean, making the movie was, was great. The experience. I who would have thought fifty years later or forty years later that they're still talking about Slapshot and every new generation that comes around watches the movie and and uh, <laughs> things are still uh, very similar in a lot of ways there. Hi, I'm Lauren um, from Blaine, Minnesota, and I was wondering um, if uh, we could ever get Kaepernick any sooner. <laughs> you know what? Every, everybody's asked that question. Um, it's uh, and again, uh, I don't think he's got a year to go on his a year after this on his contract. Yeah, if I recall. two years, two years, and I don't think there's any way uh, possible that you can we can get him. Uh, I, you know, obviously the. We're, we're waiting patiently to, to see this guy. He's supposed to be a, you know, a Tarasenko, Ovechkin type forward um, that's playing in Russia right now. And, and when I was in Washington, uh, we, we had the same situation. We had Kuznetsov, who, we, we, uh, who had signed a three-year deal with the KHL, and we had to wait for him to come over. But uh, he's proved his weight in gold uh, for the, the, the Caps. So I think this guy will be a real shot in the arm when he does come over uh, from Russia to, to play for us. Hi, I'm Eliza from Brooklyn Park. And I yes, Eliza. Three, I have three questions for you. <laughs> okay. I mean, three cookies. Um, so how is Zach Parisi doing health-wise this year? Hmm. Well, that first question is he's perfectly healthy, so as far as I know. What, what line is he going to be skating this year? Well, I mean, well, maybe I should phone Zach and see what line he wants to play on, but um, I think he ended up the season playing with Miko last year, and they were doing really well together, so I've got to believe that that's probably where he's going to start. And then is Jason Zucker going to be doing a lot of power play this year? Um, good question. That is a good question. You know, and the reason that's a good question is two years ago he never played on the power play at all and got 25 goals or something. Yeah. Right? And last year he played, and I think he led our team with six goals in the power play. So, I mean, i got to think that when we sign a guy to that kind of money, he better play the power play. And so he's going to start off there, and I would venture to guess that he'll do very well there. I'll be interested if Greenway makes the team, how you navigate that, because somebody like him, I think he'd want as a net front, but that could affect a guy like Nino, right? Yes. There we go. Let's do this. It Let's could. Let's, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we might have John Walton from the, uh, the radio play-by-play -play guy of the Washington Capitals, uh, or we could take more questions as well. Also, next uh, hour, we're going to be doing a Bruce Boudreau trivia contest for some ath the athletic T-shirts and some hats. Uh, we also have uh, subscription cards here. Uh, you know, <laughs> You're not, selling it. Not okay. pushing Good. anything on you. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you want to ask a question, I better see your subscription Wait a second. How, how much is it a month? To get a subscription it's to like, the athletic, with that it's like two ninety nine a month. Two ninety, it's, it's like that, three three. That's hardly months. nothing. I know that. I mean, I just if, spent five bucks for that coffee at the uh, French Meadow. And there. you can, you if you went to McDonald's and they didn't have their sale on dollar Coke, it'd be almost three dollars. Exactly. Wow, you can't beat that. I'm telling you right now. That's a perfect way. We'll be back on the fan. Live from the State Fair, you're listening to the fan. I'm as nowhere as I can be. 
Arkansas, please. Cleveland, I ain't never found nothing. <laughs> Michael Russo from The Athletic back here on The Fan. We're going to take more questions from the crowd. Uh, but, man, got to love the State Fair with Bruce Boudreaux. People just coming up. We got cornrows here. We, uh, one of the, uh, uh, the fan workers here brought, uh, what, turkey on the go? Turkey the go? What's it called? They took one look at my body and said, this guy eats. Uh, I'll, I'll have the turkey. That's awful. Yeah, I like, the, uh, I like turkey. Who, who has questions for the coach? Come on up. I have one for you. Go um, ahead. We talked about Parisi there. Um, you know, this is somebody that, that at one point, uh, starting March 1st to, I think, April 3rd, had 12 goals in 16 games. Took him a couple months to get going after missing half the season. H- how big of a coup could that be for your team if, if he could start the way that he finished? Man, we've missed him for two years pretty well. I mean, uh, off and on with his injuries. So if he could play like he did in the last 20 games of the year and in the first uh, three games of the playoffs, uh, that's a, a tremendous get for us. Um, and it's a tremendous get uh, mentally for Zach, I think. You know, I mean, people don't realize when you miss half the season with back surgery, you're just not going to come, even if you've practiced for a week, play good the next, the first night you're in. Mm-hmm. It took him a solid 20 games, and that's what we talked about. It's going to take him 20 games to get back into the feel of things. And in the last 20 games, he was the Zach of New Jersey. And that's uh, if we can get the Zach in New Jersey, then uh, we've got one of the best players going. Who wants to hear a funny Bruce Boudreaux story? I'm going to lead him in. It's time to embarrass Because it usually ends up where I'm the idiot in it, so. (laughs) No. All right, tell us the uh, time that you uh, might have been caught streaking. No, I did get caught. And there was no, like, bad luck has followed me an awful long of the way. But this is, because it's already written in a book, then I can say it, but in 1976, streaking was in, okay? I mean, <laughs> it was in. It was the thing. People did it at every, uh, every restaurant you went to, anywhere you went. Well, I was the captain of our junior team, and we won the Memorial Cup, and I didn't streak the whole year. I didn't, never did it. The whole team did it. Every, every p- restaurant we went to, uh, everywhere we went, so... We win the, the Canadian championship, and we go to a, um, a place to have a bite to eat and, and a drink. And um, uh, it's midnight, and there's 10 people in this place. And I said, okay, let's streak. You guys have done it all year. And they said, no, no, you're, don't be stupid. And I said, oh, you guys are all chickens and everything else. And they said, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. So we got – there's – there, you got to picture this. There's um, a little band with a singer and a drummer uh, on, a, on a stage, and then there's uh, a, a restroom on one side and a restroom on the other side, and it's about 90 degrees out. And I said, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll go to the restroom, we'll change, and then we'll run to the other restroom, and then that'll be it. That ends. This is about 1230 at night, too, by the way. So you can just imagine how we were. And so <laughs> we, we uh, get, in, get in there and we take our shorts off and, that and, and we thought we'd be really smart and we put our underwear over our heads so nobody could see who we were. And uh, we go running and I tripped over the stage and I went through the drum. 
Okay. So if you can imagine my head, I get up and the drum is spinning around in my head. And of all the times, there's two plainclothes cops there in Toronto. And so they arrested us for indecent exposure at the time. And uh, so it's funny. Well, it's not funny, but I mean... I, we're sitting outside, and we finally are going home, and we said, okay, let's not tell our, our parents, okay, let's get through this. The goaltender on our, on our team, his dad was the chief of detectives in, uh, in Toronto, so I said, we'll get Mr. Walton to, uh, to get this done, and we'll get it. So he said, let's keep it quiet. So and we went home. At uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, my dad phones me, and... He just lit into me because it's on every radio station in the city of Toronto. That what had we done? And then and my mom was so embarrassed she never went to work for four days because uh, she used to work in a bank. Eventually, we got the charges dropped, but it was uh, it was not a, a great moment in Bruce Boudreau, Bruce Boudreau history. Yeah, it's amazing. So my first story that I wrote for the Athletic last year after I had started. By the way, this is our birthday week. And if you, uh, one year anniversary, isn't it amazing? Uh, and we're having, uh, on Friday, at Delano's Pizza. Uh, friend of, of uh, uh, Bruce actually owns Delano's, Jared. Um, Friday, I think yep. 6 o'clock, we're having a pizza party, uh, beer, everything at Delano's, so come on down for the birthday party. But the first story that I wrote for The Athletic, uh, basically a year ago later this week, was you really kind enough to give me a tour of your house, which is just like a treasure trove of Bruce Boudreaux, you know, memorabilia. But funny enough, I don't remember seeing that story <laughs> framed anywhere in your house. No, that story is framed in infamy, unfortunately. Um, every now and again, I'll go back home and somebody will, that's my age will remember that story and they'll bring it up to me and I try to put it away but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a great moment maybe that was one of the stories that like framed things that were like stolen in your in yeah your no no that's that's another story yeah everybody knows that story right about how you know that story you want to tell that no, one i know that story. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> when i came to minnesota it was uh um we moved from anaheim to we had a, Hers a house in hershey and then here and we said okay we're moving lock stock and barrel to to Minneapolis or St. Paul. We didn't know where we were going to go, but when we finally got a place in Woodbury, we brought all the all the stuff here. And my wife was supposed to um, uh, meet the movers on August fifth, and they never showed up. And uh, um, so, you know, we made a phone call, couldn't get a hold of them. August sixth, couldn't get a hold of them. August seventh, couldn't get a hold of them. August eighth, like, and my poor wife was sleeping on the floor this whole time in the house waiting for them to, to come in the move. I, I was down in Mississippi having a little vacation, but um, <laughs> I know that sucks, too. She doesn't like that. Um, but anyway, so August 8th, we got a hold of them, and they said, well, they had car trouble. And, but what they forgot to say was they crashed the moving truck, and um, so all our stuff was wrecked in the thing, and they just didn't want to tell us. And then when they did take this, uh, some of the stuff that they recovered, they had to take to the police pound in, I think it was in North Carolina at this point, and uh, they have it on video where the movers were taking our safe and putting it in their car. And the safe had all our, our papers and everything of value in it, and uh, so we lost, we lost that as well, and all the rings from championships and all the important papers and, 
and every, everything, but and the, the prosecutors in uh, the North Carolina would not um, uh, would not prosecute because they didn't for what they said was they didn't know exactly where the the theft had taken place, and uh, I think they had more important things to do. I think that was that was the time of the North Carolina riots, uh, yeah, when Trump in, had, in Charlottesville, and uh, so I mean they were. We were really on the back burner at the time, but we sort of lost everything in the move, so we had to get all new stuff. That's off. And your comics were in there, too. I remember that was... Well, when I say comics, you may laugh, but I had Spider-Man number one, which was worth lots and lots of money because I've been, I'd been collecting them uh, since I've been eight years old, and so I had all of them, and uh, they were gone, so... You know what's so funny? I, I just had that recollection when I worked for the Strib, when you were hired, I remember writing, like, my first paragraph was that the Wild hired an everyman. You know, the type of guy that you'd want to go and have a beer with, uh, like, at a bar. And, boy, uh, Bruce uh, has proven that for uh, two years and counting here. Um, question on the Wild. And if you have any questions, come on up. You can ask a question, get a cookie. Um, what an incentive. Yeah. That's a heck of an incentive. Um, which young player, I mean, you know, we saw Erickson Eck really come on at late in the year. Jordan Greenway, you're on record saying that at the end of the playoffs, he might have been your best player in that series. And, and Nick Steeler had a heck of a season for you last year. So really some bright young kids uh, potentially coming into the season. Which of these guys are you looking forward to most seeing, or is it all of the above? You know what, I'm looking forward to all, all of them. I mean, People ask me, and I, I'm really excited about this year. I mean, the uh, when you listen to programs, and I, I happen to listen to a lot of hockey programs all summer long, and they don't really give uh, our team much of a chance. They think we're aging, and we're you know, and, and we're falling falling down. And with the Central Division, uh, so many teams improving themselves. But I, I really believe that this is going to be the best year that since I've been here. I mean, uh, I really like Nick Sealer. I think he's. Uh, I, I think he played great for 21 games for us and continued in the playoffs. I think Eric Sinek moving up in the lineup as a, as a player this year. You know, he was a first-year player, and we asked, of him, asked a lot of him last year, and I think he's going to be really good. And I think this Jordan Greenway is, is, is a much better player than, than um, writers and uh, people think he is, and, and I really think it's going to add to our team. So I'm really looking forward to this uh, this version of the of our our squad this year and i think we're going to do really well question hi my name's noah i'm from white bear lake and i was wondering if you're comfortable answering this uh <laughs> who is the most difficult player you've ever coached and the easiest player you've ever coached i like it wow who's the most difficult should be player? a sports writer <laughs> you know what uh, i think um the, it's a tough question because superstars on your team are always easy to to work, the easiest people to work with as long as you're playing them a lot. And the minute that the superstars aren't scoring or this they're they're not playing as much, they become difficult because they they demand so much of themselves and they demand so much of uh, uh, of the way they've been in the past. So and I've worked with Oveshkin and. Timu Solani and and Getzlaff and Perry and and such and and uh, uh, even uh, Sergei Fedorov and and all of these these stars and they were really great when things were going good and sometimes they were a little difficult when things weren't going as well. I think on the other hand, uh, a guy like Nick Backstrom from the Washington Capitals has been my favorite player uh, 
and here's a superstar that is so quiet and and he'd do anything you want or asked of him and uh uh, I think in the same same vein, Eric Stahl is, is very similar to that. Like I told Eric last year, I, I said, Eric, listen, I don't, you know, and I, I apologize. Uh, I switch your lines up every day, and uh, you never complain. You never say a word. And he says, just whatever whatever the team needs, let's do that. And uh, so he's been very easy to work with. So. You, it, was, it had to be tough. I mean, you had Timo Solani at the, what had to be the hardest point of his career. I mean, he was wrapping up, and he probably still thought he was the Timo Solani that scored 76 goals for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, how hard was that on you? I mean, that was, this is a Hall of Famer. Well, this was difficult. Uh, he was 44 years old, and I had to sit him out a game. And, uh, uh, man, he didn't take it well. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes... It, the one thing I, when I got into this business is, is you think you're a pretty, you know, uh, good guy and everything, but you have to do what you have to do, and and whatever whatever benefits the team, the coach has to do. So sometimes in this situation, team who wasn't really helping us, uh, and at the and same time he was probably hurting us a little bit. So I had to sit him out, and um, he's a really fan favorite in Anaheim, and and he let it know that he wasn't very happy and. And the fans probably uh, agreed with him because, you know, he's their favorite player. It's, it's got to be the hardest part of a coach's job because I know as a, even as a sports writer, it's hard that first time you have to interview somebody that's never been scratched before. I mean, last year we had it with Matt Cullen. I remember down the stretch with Thomas Vanek and Danny Heatley here. I mean, even Kyle Brodziak, I remember when he was scratched and we're like, you know, Jason Pominville. I mean, you know, these are guys that are proud NHLers, that's how they got to this Absolutely, point. and you know what? And and if they think it's an easy easy thing for a coach to scratch one of these guys, they, we don't sleep. I don't I don't sleep the night before. I mean, I know what I have to do, and I don't like doing it. But you have to do what you have to do when you think the team is because uh, the team has always got to come above the individual, no matter who it is. And uh, um, you know, it's uh, I probably. The one mistake I did make, like, I know I've made more than one mistake. One night in, uh, in his career earlier, um, Ovechkin never showed up for a 10 o'clock meeting, okay, because he was still in New York, mm-hmm. and the meeting was in New Jersey. And, and I didn't sit him out, and I regret that, you know, forever. But I was, uh, I think I was in my second year of coaching for the Caps, and I'd been in the 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 miners for 33 years and I'm sitting there going I can't sit Alex Ovechkin out I can't and what I realized then is you know you could fine him $2,500 or whatever yeah. but that meant nothing yeah so I mean the I know now that a coach's job is to find out what makes somebody tick so I mean sometimes it might be take a nice time away sometimes it's a pat on the back sometimes it's money sometimes it, there's a whole lot of things but it's my job to find out what makes a person tick and to use that in the best way against him. Yeah, well, that, that's a perfect precursor to my Mark Paris story when we have him on the air, by the way, because it's a very similar story. $2,500 to Ovi, that's like, a, it's like one-fourth of a bottle service after they won the cup in Vegas yeah. for him. Yeah. Yep. Question. Hi, I'm Sue from Hopkins, and I just wonder, when you're on the road, what's the best town to play in and what's the worst? Well, the best town to play in is the one we win in. Uh, but... Um, uh, Look at I. My life is 
going to the rink and going home. I don't really uh, do a lot. I, I cringe when we go to Nashville. I cringe when we go to Vegas. I, you know, because if I was in my mid-20s, those are great, great towns. Vancouver is another great town. Um, I mean, there's not really a bad, bad town in, in the whole NHL. Well, I like going to, I'll tell you what, I like going to Phoenix, and I like going to uh, Carolina because there's a movie theater right beside our uh, uh, hotel, and I get to watch a movie that night. I love Vegas and Nashville. Yeah. You're such a Vegas Mike, guy. Mike Yo once, uh, we were interviewing him at a morning skate in Nashville, and it was a really drowsy minute and a half pregame skate. And Bruce knows, we pep, you know, in the morning you pepper him. And uh, Mike Yo finally looks at, at the media and he goes, you guys need to get some sleep. And he just ended the interview. So it was pretty funny. Sue from Hopkins, thanks. I hope you got a cookie. I once knew the uh, captain of the Hopkins hockey team. Real discipline problems on that team. Just saying. Um, you would have loved uh, dealing with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, John Walton, a real good f- friend of Bruce Boudreaux, is going to be coming on on the other side of the break. Kevin Gorg still to come. Mark Parrish. We still are going to have our Bruce Boudreaux trivia contest uh, for the athletic swag here, which is going to be awesome. We'll be back on The Fan. The Fan at the Fair is presented by Mystic Lake. Michael Russo from The Athletic back here on The Fan at the State Fair. Bruce Boudreaux is joining us and uh, very happy to be joined by one of his good friends. Uh, got to call a Stanley Cup victory uh, this year with the Washington Capitals. Bruce Boudreaux worked with John Walton both in Washington and in Hershey. John, how are you? Nice talking to you, John. Is John there? Zach? Maybe Zach is... Uh, did John... We don't have. We don't have him. All right, then we're not. We don't have John. So what would John say? John would laugh right off the bat, and he uh, he would say uh, that it was great. We had so much fun together that uh, all we did was laugh. So it was uh, it was pretty cool. But it, I mean, I don't want to tell the one John Walton story until he yeah, unless we get him back. So, um, but I was very jealous about him this year being able to call. Uh, a Caps uh, Stanley Cup victory, but uh, he uh, is one of the best uh, radio play-by-play guys in the business, so I'm sure it was his, really fun for and him. And his cup-winning call was absolutely chilling. Did you get to hear it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I heard it, and I phoned him and got mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, let, uh, let me ask you about the, uh, about the Wild coming up. You said that, you know, you talked about the prognosticators. It just seems like, you know, because this division, there are no weak sisters. Because this conference, there are no weak sisters. Because teams like St. Louis, Calgary, Arizona on paper got better, that a lot of people are just thinking because you guys didn't make monster bold moves that, 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 that this could be, you know, a, a step back this year. You obviously disagree. Well, I really disagree because, I, you know what, I, and when you get to go see it, and you'll see it in Tria, I mean, uh, we, there's a picture right off the bat of our opening night and the lineup we had in there with the t- there was 10 different guys that we had the year before through injuries and that 
And I, I just didn't think we were healthy all year. You know, in game three, when you lose uh, Nino and you lose Coyle and you lose Felino and you, um, you, you know, for the, the better part of the next six weeks, it's, uh, it's, we were doing a lot of scrambling. And I think with all of these guys being healthy, with Zach being healthy, with the addition, and I think it's a big addition of Greg Pattern and with the emergence of Sealer and, and Greenway um, uh, and uh, Erickson Eck, I think we're going to be really good. And the, the biggest thing is people think we're, we're old. And, you know, uh, age-wise, I mean, Miko's 36, Stahl's 35, Zach's 34, Suter's 33 or 34. And then they could say that. But if they don't get old this year, mm-hmm. I mean, if they stay at the same level they did and Dubnik stays at the same level, I, I, I really look forward to having a great year with this team. And obviously you're looking for bounce-back years from Nino and Coyle. And, uh, Ashley, let's... Uh, Let's back, turn back to the Washington Capitals and their Stanley Cup victory and an old friend of yours, John Walton. How are you? I am good, fellas. How are you? Where are you? Where am I currently? I'm coming back from the Bay after uh, a long weekend uh, out along the water just outside of Washington. So it's the last stop with rookie camp coming up. And it was a really short summer, but no one's going to complain in these parts about that. And uh, happy to be uh, back at it here later this week. Where uh, did you take the cup, John? I am actually, believe it or not, doing it on Wednesday. I'm going to Oxford, Ohio, uh, Miami University with Mitch Korn. Uh, he and I are kind of doing it together. Mitch was the goalie coach at Miami, and I went to school there. My father taught there. And I'm actually taking it to my old college bar on Wednesday night. So I'm sure nothing bad will happen doing that. Uh, but, uh, it should be uh, just a great day, and uh, the university's honoring us. It should be uh, a really neat day on Wednesday back in Ohio. John, how did you? You're, you are a Minnesota through and through guy, right? I mean, you Vikings, lit Twins. You live and die with these teams. Yeah, you know what? Uh, the Twins, especially in the North Stars, growing up. My dad taught at the U. So uh, prior to our moving to uh, Ohio when I was in high school. Uh, my first game was the last year at Met Stadium. I was there when the Dome opened. I get back to Target Field on a regular basis. I do kind of want to know what they're doing with Byron Buxton right now. But uh, the, the rest of it, yeah, I mean, I, I follow from afar. I, you know, watch and listen when I'm able to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was home for me. I, Bruce would never know it, but I, I actually did play pond hockey a little bit in Minnesota, as good as I could do with two right feet. And, uh, but I, it's a good broadcaster. Um, yeah, that's how you right. <laughs> well, listen, uh, you know what, before we get into this thing, I just want to congratulate you. I'm very jealous of, uh, uh, of the good things that happened to you this year, but being a good friend, uh, I don't think, I don't care how good you guys were. You never laughed as much as when we were together. Uh, it's absolutely true. And that starts in the minors. It went on through Washington uh, I'm telling you, I, one of my favorite people of all time, Bruce, and to be able to, uh, you know, chat with you here and to be able to see you at least a couple of times a year. Uh, if you're not playing Washington, I'm always pulling for the wild for you, my friend. Well, I appreciate it. Let me ask you this question. In the year 2006 or 2007, what was your waistline? <laughs> was it 32? See, I know where you're 30? going with this. Were your I was a size 32. Okay. 32. So I, I'm going to tell this story, okay? And you know where... I, I just want to okay. preface this with one thing. So I'm, I did this Brady Boudreaux story the other day. 
And I said to Brady during the interview, I said, what, like, growing up, like, wh- what, when was it that you realized that your dad was kind of a big deal, was a great player, and blah, blah, blah. And he started telling me these stories about how he knows most of the stories growing up, but the one story he never knew was something he actually read in a book and actually had to go to you and, and really angry because you had never told him the story, and it's the time that your wife... Yeah, my wife... Well, we were pl- when you're in the minors, you bus everywhere. And that's just a known fact, and that's what you do. So, I mean, this was the day after Christmas, and we get our tracksuits on, and we leave uh, uh, our, the arena, and we're bussing up to Bridgeport, which is a few hours. And then when I get there, I open, uh, I, you, you take your suit coat out, and, you're, and, you're, and you get dressed and everything and get ready for the game. Well, lo and behold, uh, my wife never put in my pants. And uh, so we were really scrambling. What do we do now? Coaches wear suits behind the bench. And Bob Woods says, you know, no, let's, you know, let's wear the track suit and everything. And, and, and then uh, we think, John Walton, John Walton. Let's get John Walton down here. And so he comes down to the dressing room, and he took his pants off, and I put them on. And it was I hadn't been in a 32 waist since I was, like, 16. And it was the funniest thing. If you've ever seen, and John can attest this, you ever, ever seen that Seinfeld episode where Kramer wears those really tight jeans and he can't bend over? And that... That was me, and I was walking, I walked across the arena, and I didn't move for 60 minutes, because if I had moved one way, these things were going were gonna to just go from stem to stern, we're going to just snap. But uh, I, I remember us laughing so hard, we couldn't, we couldn't even go and have a meeting with the players that night. That would have been an incredible sight if you walked I walked in. into the dressing room. I, well, first of all, I got to the tunnel, and a, a general manager who had waved us down, Doug Yings, brings me down to the tunnel, and he says, we have a problem, we think you can help, and you're not going to like it. And when I walked in, the first person I saw was Eric Fair. And Eric was laughing so hard that it looked like, and it, this is 20 minutes before warm-up. I mean, it's usually a pretty serious time in the room. And the guys are just losing it. Bob Woods was had tears in his eyes. He was laughing so hard. And then I saw the problem when Bruce was standing in the coach's office ready to go, except he didn't have any pants. I was in a suit. You know, you got your Christmas stuff. You had your shirt and tie. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. And I'm walking back upstairs, no pants, Bruce's track pants. And I got to hold them up just to get to where I'm going, back in the press box in Bridgeport. It was quite a sight. I said, I usually stand for games. I couldn't stand for that, or I'd have my own problem to deal with. <laughs> and that was the only game we won in Bridgeport all year, uh, needless to say. But that was fun. But uh, uh, the one thing, you know, every summer I'd go back to Hershey, and, and uh, uh, me and John would go out for a night, and we'd have a, a great time just reminiscing stories. And, and one of the things that it's not really – a story, but I used to get take great pride, and he would do an interview with the coach every morning. And my job was to make him not be able to get through the interview. And I would end up saying something really stupid, it might be five minutes in, and then crack him up. We'd have to start the whole thing over again. And I had a great time doing that. But uh, uh, I miss you, my friend. You know, and but I'm happy for you, sorta. <laughs> <laughs> I get the sorta part, but yeah, it's. Uh... You know, I, I think back to the times when you're in the minors and you're in Hershey. I mean, when you get to the NHL level and you've been here for a while, you understand because there's just so many people on the plane and there's so much staff. 
you do lose a little bit of that intimacy. I mean, there was all, we only had five staff members in Hershey. I mean, we were a tight group, and you create friendships for life when you do that. And for Bruce and Bob Woods both, they, my, among my best friends in hockey, and, you know, to be able to always keep an eye on what's going on in Minnesota just to make sure uh, they've got the wild going the way they need to. And I, I can't wait to be watching this year, too. Well, can't wait to uh, be playing you guys again, and it's uh, always nice of a challenge to play the Stanley Cup champions. John, well, we'll, uh, we'll try to take our target off the back for one night. Maybe you won't notice. <laughs> John, thanks so much for joining us. And good luck this week thanks, uh, with the Cup. Enjoy it. It's going to be your only one. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> You're up next, my friend. <laughs> okay. That is uh, the voice of the Washington Capitals, John Walton. Uh, just terrific guy. And again, uh, you know, grew up here in Minnesota. Who knew? I mean, it's so funny watching him on, on uh, Twitter sometimes because everybody thinks of him as an Ohio guy and a Washington Capitals through and through. And yet he's always tweeting about the Twins and the Vikings and things like that. So uh, that's John Walton. Uh, when we come back, Kevin Gorg is right behind me from Fox Sports North. Uh, some, some people would say uh, Bruce's doppelganger. No. We're not talk, we're not going there. We're gonna have a little. Uh, we're gonna have some movie chatter. Uh, still, uh, Mark Paris still to come, and we. I promise you, we will get the uh, Bruce Boudreaux trivia contest uh, coming up here. We'll be back on the fan. FM one hundred point three, the fan at the State Fair. You're listening to the fan. Upon me that's flooded in light In the fine print that tell me what's wrong and what's right What? We're back? <laughs> yeah, we're back. Oh, sorry. Mike Russo from The Athletic. Uh, happy to be joined by... We're, this this uh, show's flying here, Bruce. He's not my twin. Yeah. He's not my twin either. He, he's my dad. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tough one. Bruce Boudreau and Fox Sports North Kevin Gorg, also a frequent fan contributor. Good to be here, boys. It's good to I see love you. the State Fair, and it was fun to listen to you guys when we first got here. I uh, love hearing Bruce tell stories. And So last night, I'm watching HBO, worst movie I've ever seen on last night. It was so bad, I couldn't stop watching. What was it? Father Figures. Oh, yeah. Owen good. Wilson and uh, not good. Ed oh. Helm. Mm. They tried the stepbrother thing, and it didn't work. You know, I mean, stepbrothers, yeah. the more you see it, the first time you're kind of like, eh, and then you see it a couple times, and you catch on on just how cheesy good it is. This one, they missed. I agree. And then this morning, I had, like, insomnia, and you know it was on? Maverick. Remember oh, the yeah. Mel Gibson, James Gardner movie? That's a, yeah, that's a great movie. Jody Foster. Back yeah. when Mel Gibson yes. was uh, more of a, a mainstream actor, you can't find him anymore. I mean, he's kind of dug, dug his own grave. But. Yeah. Now, Bruce, what's the best movie you've seen all summer? You and I both see... What, two, three movies a week? Is that about yes, right? Yes, and we argue all the time because we um, you have no clue what's a good movie. <laughs> and that really bothers me sometimes. What makes you all-knowing? Well, because I know. Now, you're my dad. I should take, I should take no, that advice. No, no, but you're not going to... Like, the best movie I've seen all summer is not the best movie that's ever been out there. But I've seen it three times, and... You know, it's it's really I can't even bring myself to. Stay. You're not going to say, "Mama Mia." Mama Mia, oh, Bruce. Oh, <laughs> your credibility with the men in the audience just—you hey, just lost it. When I'm sitting there dancing in the aisles to Mama Mia. Come, oh, I, come that, on. that's a picture. Now yeah. that would be a Twitter, Mike Russo. You're a Twitter yeah. guy, right? You get 
You get this guy dancing to Mamma Mia, that thing will blow up on Twitter. Well, this is how I've been waiting for the, like I've seen the original uh, on stage six times, and, and I've seen the movie at least 30 times. So when this came out, I was visiting my son in Banff, Alberta, and Banff may be the most beautiful spot in the world. Agreed. But... It was opening night for Mamma Mia, and I had to go see it, uh, go see the movie, and then I went the next afternoon uh, again, like I'm an idiot. No, that's uh, good. That's if you okay. like something, don't be ashamed. I, my, the best movie I've seen, I might get some laughs too, but Crazy Rich Asians was phenomenal. I went in kind of thinking it'll be decent. I left saying I'm going to probably see it two or three times in the theater. It's that kind of movie, and I just loved it. But it's not what you would think would be typical of two men, one in their 50s, one in their late 60s. Late 40s. <laughs> Early 30s, whatever. <laughs> Young at heart. Mm. I, uh, one, one of the great stories that I wrote uh, a couple years ago for the strip was uh, sitting with Bruce and talking movies with him. And the, the lead of the story was something that Crystal, your wife, told me where you, at the Oakdale Cinemas, you actually can buy a plastic bucket <laughs> for popcorn. And then you can bring it back. <laughs> this every, isn't going to end well, yeah, is it? You no. could bring, you could, so, so you, and then you bring it back, and then they refill it for like two or three bucks. The never-ending bucket. Right. Yeah. So, and Bruce, of course, got that bucket. I got the bucket, but I never brought it back. But isn't that, to be honest, the, the reason you go to the movies? I, I love watching movies at home. That's fine. But you go for the for the popcorn, and now with the chairs they've got, with these recliners. I don't even like that theater, so let's not go there. Okay, okay. changing the subject. Hey, golf is, is, is no, on my mind. No, we can talk movies. I will talk movies in a second, but we've got to tell the audience, both on the air and here at the State Fair, the Tiger Woods story. So the first time I was lucky enough to, to be at, at Bruce, uh, Bruce or my dad's house, there's a really cool picture of a famous golf course on the East Coast near Washington, D.C., where he used to coach. And so, naturally, being that I used to golf a lot more than I do now, I had a question. I'm like, tell me the story behind this, not thinking it'd be the story it was. So, tell us, Coach Boudreaux, how, with that picture, the story led to you beating Tiger Woods on the golf course. Well, I don't know. Uh, it's Congressional Golf Course, and um, Tiger has a tournament there every year uh, around the 4th of July. And it's, um, uh, I, got a, I was lucky enough to play in the Pro-Am one time. And the guy that came up to me and he says, you know, you want to play with, with Tiger? And uh, I said, uh, I didn't believe him. You know, I mean, they had to go through a lot of hoops to make me believe that this was actually coming true. So I said, sure, and uh, um, ended, up, uh, ended up not playing with Tiger. But um, Tony Romo came in at the last moment. I guess he's bigger than me. Um, but uh, I was playing. We played one hole together. And the the he it's a par three. It's about a 230 yard um, par three over water. And Tiger put it in the water, chipped on, got his four, and I put it on the green and um, and got my three. And I looked at him and I said, "I'm one up." And he didn't take it very lightly. He didn't take it very well. Let's hear it for Coach Boudreau going head to head with the greatest golfer of our generation and beating him on a 230 yard par three. <laughs> that leads me back to movies. I've got my answer in the back of my head. What is the best golf movie you've ever seen? Well, uh, Tin Cup. Ah, I just took mine. Was, See, we finally agree. Yeah. yeah. Like you're, the, you're what was right the Bobby Jones once? movie? The one. Ba Be the, Bagger Vance? Yes. Mm -hmm. I love Very that movie. solid. But what makes Tin Cup for me is if you're ever going to go back in any sports movie and try to replicate what the feel is of the game or the tournament, 
you have to have the announcers. For, for the love of the game, had Vin Scully. It doesn't get any better. And for me, what made Tim Cup is you've got the CBS crew. You've got Jim Nance, Gary McCord, and that crew on the golf course yeah. calling the tournament that, that uh, they're playing in Tim Cup. For me, it took that movie to the top of the list. Better than yeah. Caddyshack 3? Well, Better than any Caddyshack. <laughs> I like the Caddyshack 1. After that, you'd stop... At, at, at one. Two is unwatchable. For Love of the Game was really good, too, though. It was. The Kevin Costner movie. But, I mean, it's always Kevin Costner in these things. Kevin Costner and his sports movies are spectacular. Now, the last one was a little sketchy. It was, what was it, draft day where he was the Cleveland Browns hey, GM? That was fat. If you're a Cleveland Brown fan, man, you How many Cleveland Brown fans do you have out here? I don't know, but I had Crickets. one. One. <laughs> there we go. I had one. I thought it was a really good movie. Best hockey movie. Not Slapshot. You can't, can't pick Slapshot slap because Bruce was in it, so we can't. Well, there's no real good hockey movie, is there? Mystery Alaska is pretty Mystery good. Mystery Alaska is good. I good. thought Miracle is pretty good as well. Miracle, you're right. You're right. I'm not thinking. And no. I, I think Youngblood, if you're into the 80s, which I am because I graduated high school in 85, Youngblood with Cynthia Gibbons, the Zamboni driver. I've been to a lot of rinks. I haven't seen many Zamboni drivers that look like Cynthia Gibb. I'll just say that. Yeah, hey. These were all better than Goon? Oh, Goon, come on. And Goon 2? And Goon 2? Goon was so bad they had to make a sequel. How, what was the, wasn't there a Tooth Fairy movie with a, with a hockey tie? Oh, that was uh, the, the Rock, Rock right? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's believable as a hockey player. What would, you do? what would you do if you had The Rock? Would you put him on the power plane from no, the No, but he'd be defenseman for sure. Okay, I he mean, could do some damage yeah, back there. Yeah. We were in Montreal a couple years ago when Goon was coming out, and Sean William Scott, who's from Minnesota, yep. was in it. So they, Stifler. Yeah, so they, they reached his, like, the, the production company reached out, do you want to interview Stifler? I'm like, uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> and I remember I actually missed a wild morning skate. I was in the Montreal Chateau Champlain to interview Stifler about the movie Goon, even though all I wanted to do is talk to him about American Pie. Did he bring Stifler's mom? <laughs> Come on. Did he talk about Goon? Super nice Those guy, and he's, and he's from Minnesota. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. So. He but, is from here. But what did he think of doing the movie Goon? Well, the best part of the movie, if I remember, I wrote a big story on it, was that he couldn't skate, and that they had to essentially teach him to skate, if I remember correctly, for the movie. And he's from Minnesota. Yeah. Yep. And he, it's uh, embarrassing. But I'm sure he left early. For, I mean, the guy's been making movies for a long time. He was in Super Troopers too, uh, which I love. Yes, by the way. I know yeah. you're friends with those guys. I know you had a little cameo, and it was it was <laughs> Could terrific. Have been the dumbest movie. Of no, all Bruce, time. that was fun. That was good <laughs> fun, huh? That's a popcorn movie. You go for the popcorn, you get a couple laughs. The best part was when they were talking French. To the cops were talking French to the people crossing the border. I enjoyed anyway, it thoroughly. I anyway. thought it was really good. That was David Foley, the uh, from uh, Kids in the Hall. It was uh, not David Foley. It was somebody. It was the other one of the other uh, kids from Kids in the Hall. Was there? I'm pretty sure it was. Was the border across? Yeah, now. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you had to pick an all timer, and and I, I know well, it's tough when you see a it. tough question. It is, and and I always you know I wrestle with this because I don't want to let people know how much I like chick flicks, but I really enjoy like Notting Hill and those type of movies. But for me, it's Hoosiers. I know. Uh, for me, it's Hoosiers, and and I'm not a basketball guy, but for me, that movie wasn't just about basketball as much as it was about the coach and 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 the story. You know, Gene mm-hmm. Hackman, I thought was unbelievably good in that movie. So I'm going to go Hoosiers. I'd love to hear what your two thoughts are on your all-time favorite. I don't know how you can beat Mamma Mia. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Coach, come on, we're on live radio here. You can't be admitting to these things. Uh, man, I don't know. I, 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 Is there a movie year, that's on cable year, you can't turn off when it's on? Yes, there's a lot of them. Well, name one that maybe you catch. I can't think right now. You got me all discombobulated. My, well, the Mamma Mia stuff's got me discombobulated. My, my, my favorite comedy of all time, Young Frankenstein. Wow. Yep. 
Now that's old school. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure I've seen that. Uh, oh my god, it's so good. No, Mel Brooks—he's out of control. I'd rather see Blazing Saddles than there you, you go, know, Frankenstein. <laughs> there, hey, there we go. They like that. Mm. You dug yourself out of that Mamma Mia pit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good pit. Can you tell the Slapshot story again? Because I, I just marvel knowing you now and and seeing you at practice and how you are so into hockey and not into the rest of it. But I can only imagine when you were in your teens or into your early 20s what a mess that place was but his his place where he lived was featured in the movie Slapshot I think it's marvelous tell us the story how that happened well being just being in the movie was you really learn a lot on and not knowing anything on how movies are made is is one thing but uh, it's not as exciting as the final product looks we were in um uh we were like in our skates basically for 10 hours a day waiting for uh, a shot to to occur and and but the mo- the I think the thing he's talking about is George Roy Hill was the director and uh, he came in when they were making before they started they needed a, a room um, for Paul Newman if you remember where Paul Newman and the dog slept on the same bed and he, he couldn't get to sleep and and they said we need we need somebody who's got the worst apartment on the team and everybody just stood up and pointed to me. And so he said, "Okay, there we've got the apartment uh, all set for the, all set for the movie." But uh, uh, that was that. The, the the best part for me, though, there's one of one of the things they do every day at the movies is they do the dailies, and that means anything they've shot that day, they will they you know the director goes and and he watches them at night. And I was invited to with Paul Newman to. Uh, to go watch the the dailies that day, and I don't know why I was picked, but I was picked anyway. Um, and, and Paul turned around to me uh, halfway through the dailies, and he said, "You know, I just finished making a movie called Judge Roy Bean for the money." And he said, "I I did it for the money. I don't know where it's going to go, but he says this movie is going to be a hit forever." And he yeah. was a hundred percent correct. And uh, timeless. Um, yeah, and but I'll never forget that moment because. It's the only time, like, Paul Newman ever talked to me. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> well, Bruce, uh, appreciate it. Kevin, I appreciate you stopping by. We're going to be seeing Kevin a lot more on uh, Fox Sports North coming up here. On the Got a lot of wild games coming up. we got two preseason games on, the 20th and 22nd. I'm looking forward to it. It's fall for me as always. One of my favorite times of the year. Baseball playoffs are on the horizon. Football starts this week. Got my fantasy draft tonight. And then, of course, hockey. I love the hockey season, and we'll be started real soon on FSN, guys. Yeah, and Kevin, by the way, is in my fantasy hockey league uh, champion last year, co-champion with Thanks Dan, Dan Myers, Myers from I did Wild. none of the work, yeah. but uh, Dan did a heck of a job. They broke you guys every, are like twins. They, Thanks for they so found much. every loophole in the, in the collective bargaining agreement that Anthony LaPanter singularly wrote, by the He's way. He's never wrong, yeah, by the yeah, way. Don't yeah, forget yeah. that either. By the way, as we tell Anthony all the time, there's no harder job in broadcasting than being a sideline reporter. That's true. I would agree. I mean, yeah. limited talent, but uh, you put me out there, and hopefully coaches and players carry me every day. Yeah. We, we have to. <laughs> <laughs> That's why your back's sore. Kevin Gorg, we've got another hour with Bruce Boudreaux. We're going to do, uh, I believe Mark Parrish is going to come by as well. Uh, we're going to do our athletic uh, Bruce Boudreaux trivia contest coming up, too, and we're going to also I want to talk to Bruce uh, a little more about uh, 9-11's coming up. That's very important to uh, Bruce for a number of reasons that you'll sign, uh, soon find out as well. We'll be back on The Fan. This is The Fan, broadcasting live from the Minnesota State Fair. Late night 
Russo from The Athletic back here on The Fam. Bruce Boudreaux still in house. An hour to go. Three segments. The show is flying. Sorry, I got wires everywhere, Bruce. It's okay. <laughs> We're untangling ourselves here. Um, also happy to be joined by uh, former Wild, former Panthers. Oh, keep going. The list is longer than that. Former Islander. Islander. Former. We should have like a Mark Parrish, uh, like yeah. name all your teams. Former Ottawa Senator for a Day. Day, yeah, yeah. Dallas Stars. Buffalo had like a weekend yep. in Buffalo. Tampa, no? Tampa, yeah. Yep. Binghamton Senators. Yep. Portland. That was Portland. a thrill being in Binghamton, I bet. Oh, yeah, that was, um, it was good to be in the rink and then get away from downtown Binghamton. It was a good place for the kids to raise the family. There's a lot of family stuff. Besides that, uh, there's a lot of closed down businesses in Binghamton. So, so Mark obviously won a couple high school state championships as a player. Just won one with Orono. Uh, played for St. Cloud State, and 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 I got to cover his first two years in the NHL. And we were talking about the big trade uh, that uh, that brought Mark from Florida to the Islanders. First, he was actually drafted by the Avs. Yes, traded to the Panthers. Yep, for Tom Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Yep, myself and I. I think I. Second or third round pick or right. something like that. Who was a fan favorite, and then then Mark scores fifty goals in two years with the Panthers and is traded in that trade, and then the fans. So the fans were upset when you came, were upset when you left, and it turned out to be for Roberto Luongo yeah. and Ole Okunen. And then they realized who the trade was for. <laughs> I, I will. I'll never forget that phone call, that conversation with Brian Murray. Uh, he called me up, let me know I got traded. Uh, oh, Brian, do you mind if I, I ask you who I got traded for? Yes, yeah, you and Ole Kavasha for Ole Okunen and Roberto Luongo. And I almost fainted. Just dropped the phone. I, I, I was kind of blown away with that. I did, it, it, it's, I did, there's not one bit of me that felt bad. I was like, wow, um, great deal. I don't know how you <laughs> pulled that one off. Were you ever like that, Bruce? Like, uh, are there times when, like, you know, you were playing for a team and a trade was made, a friend of yours leaving, and you're like, actually, pretty good trade. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, no, when you're in the minors, the trades, you just, uh, actually, Greg Hotham got traded one year, and it, we were at an all-star game in 82 in Cincinnati, and and our agent, who had both of us, said, hey, you're both going to be traded during this all-star break, and uh, uh, and I was so pumped up, thinking I was going to get back in the NHL, and only Greg got traded, so I was really ticked off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I wanted to ask you this question, Bruce, on how you would have handled this situation, but I already think I know because you kind of almost brought up a story earlier in the show that was very uh, similar to this because uh, it was regarding Alex Ovechkin, but Mark Parrish's rookie year, do you want to tell the whole story? <laughs> uh, this is like my favorite Mark Parrish story uh, because I got to write it and the evidence uh, yeah, is still out there. I think it's, I can maybe skew some people into my side. Um, yes, we had, a, we had a night off in Ottawa. We were practicing the next day in Ottawa, and then we were going to Montreal to play the next night in Montreal. And so we went out as a team, and Brett Hedekin had just broke his jaw that night before, so he was my roommate. He had to get up early. He set the alarm. I got the wake-up call. And wake-up call came, and I picked it up, hung up on it, and it rang again, and I'm wondering why they're calling again, and I pick it up, and it's Hedekin saying, why aren't you down here? The bus is ready to leave in five minutes. So I 
throw everything into a case or throw everything in my suitcase, run downstairs, and I'm watching the bus pull away. No big deal. We got that right out to Canada, so I'll beat the, I'll beat the bus out there at the cab. Maybe have a fine, whatever, no big deal. Won't be late for practice. Won't even be late when it comes to time. Except for we were practicing downtown at the uh, Ottawa... Um, Civic Center. Civic Center, thank you. And uh, so when I got to Canada... And they said, there was you guys there. aren't practicing here. And my, I mean, I, I'm sure I turned even whiter. Just Rookie white as a year. ghost. Just yeah. terrified. So I had to wait another 20 minutes to get a cab out there. Finally get back downtown, and I just, Terry Murray just walked right by me. I didn't know what to do. And Billy Smith, just assistant coach, you better get on the bike. You know you're not coming on the ice. And, uh, well, luckily enough, I got fined, and I missed the next night in Montreal, which was heartbreaking. It was my first time playing in Montreal. I was pretty excited about that. But that being said, I was very, very happy I didn't get sent down. Yeah, That was my biggest concern. That I would, like, thank God it was just a game and a fine. I thought for sure I was You are one down. lucky cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you would have been sent down uh, in a heartbeat, I oh. think, uh, in this day and age. Because I did, the, did that to Matthew Perot. Mm-hmm. In his rookie year, and in it wasn't my rookie year, and I wasn't at fault. And they did the same sort of thing, and they did send me down. I had to get the leader. Uh, quick story: we were in the island, and everybody went out, but I had just been called up, so I didn't go out. And Roger Nielsen used to phone curfew all the time, or, or oh. knock on doors for curfew. So he knocked on the on the door, and I guess I didn't answer it. I was asleep, and so he'd always. Put something under the under the uh, under the door that says "Call me when you get in," and I didn't see it till the next morning. And he had already sent me down on paper, and I had to beg Daryl Sittler and Lanny McDonald and that to go to back go to back because they walked back to the hotel with me, yeah. or I would have been sent down there. But I mean, you did get lucky in that situation because, especially as a first year guy, if you were if you were an established guy, you probably would have missed the game and gotten fined. But being a first-year guy, that's an easy call. You get, oh, you send the guy down. I thought for sure. I was I was, I was and, really and, giddy to yeah, get bag skated and yeah. find in Montreal. Yeah, I, I and, and, sure. and Mark's, uh, you know, Mark was in a bad group at the end because he was the third. It was the third time this happened. Remember, it happened with uh, Robert Spella and like Peter Worrell. Peter Worrell, Peter Worrell. Yeah, and, uh, he got sent and, down. When we were interviewing Terry after practice about Mark missing practice, he went crazy. Oh, he he goes, speak know, to me. Yeah, he he he, to me he really. Days. I mean, I, I've 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 on many occasions sent him the article that I wrote at the time, <laughs> 1998. By the way, I wrote the story, and 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 I mean the quotes are just you know you could the the anger comes through, and he was just like, I cannot understand on the simplest type of. You know, thing be on practice on time. How this has happened three different times this year. No wonder we're you know crap yeah. because it really starts to look bad on a coach. Yeah, yeah. And I felt, uh, yeah. Oh, I, and that, those are all the things. You know, at the time as a rookie, I didn't, I didn't. That didn't necessarily dawn on me. As I got older, I realized how much how lucky I was, or how much he actually really did like me. I don't know if you remember one of the great um, uh, stories in Ottawa. Also, was when Brian Murray was left at the Westin also by Terry Murray. Yes. T- t- Brian was late for the bus on the way to a game, and Terry had the, had the bus leave, and Brian, his brother, who's the GM, shows up in Canada just absolutely incensed. That he didn't <laughs> wait like a minute. Well, you know what? Uh, you get a guy, and it's usually not the, the coach, but I've done it in the past where you say, 
okay, we're 1025. It's a hard, it's a hard call. We're leaving at 1025. And you want, the biggest thing is you want the stars to be on the bus. You don't care if, if there's a, a middling guy that's not on. You just take off. But I remember the, the moment we left Timu Solani who did um, in Anaheim, and I'm going, okay, we're leaving. And, like, I'm almost in tears thinking that this is going to come back to haunt me. And, but th- he was great about it. But from the, the rest of the year, he sat at the front seat. And he had his watch on, and if we had have waited for one second, if a guy was late, he would have come come apart. But he didn't, and uh, but he was he was the the time guy after that. What's it like, like as a coach when you send a player down? Uh, uh, you know, we talked earlier about you know those times when you know you, you're going to scratch a veteran that that uh, you know is a big proud player. But what's the time like? You know, you, there are so many on occasions where you have guys that take it the right way and guys that, that don't. Well, you I mean, tell us some stories there. Nobody likes it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nobody wants to get sent down. I mean, uh, um, your goal is to make the NHL when you get sent down. I mean, a, a just the financial, uh, benefits you lose are crazy, but this is the goal you want to be. But, and I have a hard time cause I get sent down so many times in the first three years. I think it was 18 or 19 different times I got sent down and, uh, um, so I'm a really, uh, you know, like I, I really understand the players and what they're going through and everything like that. So you try to be as honest as you can with them, but at the same time, you realize that this is this is not a happy moment for them. And and it's even uh, not worse, but I mean, in training camp when you're sending guys down, and if they don't they don't think they deserve it, but they've played awful. Then the coaches sometimes get a little mad and fight back, and they're not as receptive to, to what they say. And it, uh, uh, We had it a, a couple of years ago. I won't mention the player. But I said, your camp was horrible. You know, I mean, the place is there for you to make the team, and you're horrible. What do you want me to do? Yeah, you know? I remember that player. <laughs> I remember that, actually that entire camp. You were pretty pissed. I, mean, I was you know, really. You, you, you were, could not believe the fact that nobody was standing up to take a job. Well, my first year, we had uh, ten. We, we had nine forwards signed to one-way contracts coming into camp. Never in the history of me has this ever happened before. I, I, the first day I said, boys, I know you hear this from everybody, but there are three spots to be taken on this team. There is a chance tryout guys are going to make the National Hockey League. Put your best foot forward and play the best. And these guys, the, the, the guys that had played in the minors last year that they thought might, might play, were awful. And I was so mad every day that yeah. they weren't putting their best foot forward. So I didn't keep any of them. Yeah, that, that's when you know that, like, not to bash on management, but when management's seeing things with the way they, they want to see it because they're the ones that are responsible for drafting them and things like that, that's yeah. sometimes you need somebody coming from outside the organization to say, uh, this guy cannot play. Yeah, so it's a, a, a fresh set of eyes like that. And I can't imagine how frustrating that must be as, as a coach. Just, hey, look, guys, look look at this. There's three spots available. And just for nobody to even, that would just, I can't even imagine the frustration. Just as a, on a high school level, when, when you say, hey, look, we, have, we lost this many seniors. We got spots on varsity. When nobody steps up there, I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. This is the NHL. Yeah. Like, that's insane. Well, so what's it like now on the opposite end where guys come in like Jordan Greenway, Luke Cunnan, Matt Reed, Kyle Rao, Sam Annis, I don't know, um, and there's one spot. Like, you know, like they, they're not stupid. You know, 
Paul Fenton has said many, many times, you want to keep roster spots open, we're going to keep roster spots open, but they are rea- the reality here that, that really there are 12 guys signed to one-way contracts if you include Erickson in. So mm. how, does that, how, do, how do you handle it with them when, you, when there's really, you know, three or four of them could be great, but only one can stay? Well, I mean, uh, to me, then if, you know, you come in and sometimes you know that there's no spots for you, mm-hmm. but you have to leave an impression that makes them want to call you back the first moment's notice here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, what we do or what I've done in, is the prospects that we think can play are going to play two, three, four exhibition games. If they show something and, and you still have to send them down, you make it a very positive send mm-hmm. If it's uh, uh, if it's a negative thing, then you tell them they've got to really work on stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, that's those are easy calls because they the players are not stupid they they know exactly what they're up against when they come in which is why i was so mad two years ago because there was opportunities to be to to make this team and be a regular and nobody took advantage of it and it's interesting because you know this year the message could be you know hey remember last year game three we lost three players I mean, you know, even if you don't make the team, you could be here at any point. Well, they'll look. That, you know, we'll take them into the video room first day because there's a picture of our whole team's opening night home roster. And you had Gravek, and you had Mitchell, and you had Birchie, and you had Eck, and you had uh, Ennis, and you had you had. There was ten different guys that, uh, and half of them were were call up guys that were on that team. So anything can happen if you play properly. Yeah. What's that practice really like? It's unbelievable. For all you people out there that haven't been um, to the Minnesota Wild's new practice facility, if you get the opportunity, uh, go through it. It's, uh, it's 22nd century stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's incredible. I mean, the spoilage from where we grew up playing in the buildings that we <laughs> used to have to practice into what this is, it just goes to show that Craig Leopold and the management and, uh, you know, everybody, you know, from Chuck and Brent, whoever designed the the whole scheme of things, deserves tremendous kudos because nothing was spared, nothing. And it's funny. I mean, you know, you, you, we joke about when you when you know that that you guys are the same generation, but you had to play at Nassau Coliseum, oh, so you know Lord. exactly yeah. what he's. Oh, like. oh, so yeah. did I. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget. Yeah. Like yeah. I was, I went to the Islanders camp for two years oh, in a yeah. row when I played with Springfield, and and I thought that you know compared to Springfield, I thought that that <laughs> was pretty cool. A pretty cool building. Absolutely. It was loud. I know that. Mm. You're going to actually, in this new practice facility, if you want to yell at a player, though, you're going to have to take like a 200-yard walk, right? I mean, I've asked for a golf cart, but uh, <laughs> Mr. Fenton said this might be the best form of getting you in shape. <laughs> so, we'll see how it goes. This, uh, this practice facility reminds me of when we were in uh, Finland in 2010 and when the, when the Wild... Um, had to go to practice at that, uh, the not the IFK, but the other Helsinki team there. I can't remember who plays in that arena. Um, Jokerit or some not Jokerit, whatever. But uh, they would have to take a, a, uh, an elevator to practice, and that's what they're going to do at the practice facility. The basement is, in, is the locker room area, and the fifth rink floor. is on the fifth floor. So the players in full gear are going to get into a freight elevator and go up to practice, and same thing with the media being shuttled down. It's going to be pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. We practiced there uh, last year during the state tournament. We took the Orno boys out there, and it was 
We had a blast, but it was one of the worst practices we ever had. Yeah. That, us coaches included were just skating around, just marveling. If somebody's late to practice but says, Bruce, honestly, I got stuck in the elevator, is that a good excuse? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's a, almost a good excuse because I, get off, I got off at the second floor the other day by mistake, and I couldn't get back in. And so I had to walk all the way outside the building, all the way around, come back in the same way and go up. And I mean, I almost missed Suter, Suter skate at the end. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. All right, when we come back, I promise Bruce Boudreaux trivia time uh, for athletic swag here. We got T-shirts and, uh, and uh, beanies. Um, also, we still got Sweet Martha's cookies, a bunch of them, a couple buckets. So if you want to ask a question to the coach or Mark Parrish, come on up. We'll be back here on The Fan. The Fan at the Fair is presented by Mystic Lake. Are you behind the shining star? Am I as hopeless as you are? Well, I'm sleepless in my better nights. You promised that you wouldn't fight. Stay. So from the athletic back here on the fan, Bruce Boudreaux still joining us, <laughs> giving away. He's a man of the people. He's giving away sweet Martha's cookies. We got uh, turkey back here. We got corn roast. Uh, Mark Parrish, also a uh, uh, two-time state champion player, one time for coach, uh, frequent fan contributor, frequent, uh, always on TV, <laughs> proud Husky. Yes, um, he's also joining us in here. So it's gonna be a fun little segment here. We got. Uh, if you have questions for the coach, uh, you can come up and ask. We're going to do some Mark, uh, some Bruce Boudreaux trivia, too. Not too hard, I promise. I bet you, actually, some of them, though, Bruce might not even know. Um, and I also got Boy George and B-52 concert Boy tickets George? for tonight. Nice. Do you want them? You no. can win them. Boy George, Boy George? Still no, I don't think touring? <laughs> I'd actually want to go just for that one I drank B-52. drank a B-52, but... Well, the one B-52 <laughs> song I like, but you, the problem is you're going to have to, you know, no offense if they're listening, uh, but you're going to have to, like, listen to the whole concert because they're going to do it last, right? Yep. The one, uh, Love yeah. Shack. All right, who wants to start? Do you want to... How about you come up and you have the... You ask... I, all right, yeah, basically, you say, I want to ask a question to the coach or... Say trivia, and, I'll, and you can play for the athletic swag. Uh-oh. Okay, hi, Coach. I'm Mike from Richfield. Hi, Michael from Richfield. Parrish, <laughs> I understand you know a guy named... Uh... Well, if you don't know his name, oh. he can't know <laughs> Rob. Rob? Yeah, his, his, his mom's <laughs> name's Jackie Rob. He lives right behind you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I grew up with them. I am sorry. Because dealing with them as neighbors, for crying out loud, let me tell you. Call I the police a couple yeah. times? Yeah. Actually, I'm more worried they're going to call it on me. And, Coach, what's, what's the uh, starting goalie for the Wild this year? Well, I hope it's Devin Dubnik. <laughs> He'd have to be pretty bad in camp for it not to be Devin Dubnik. Take a cookie. Or five. You can have more if you want. Yeah, there's more. Yeah, Any, more. anybody else? <laughs> Johnny, uh, 
This is the uh, Hopkins senior captain I was telling you about that had uh, major discipline issues uh, senior year. How's it going, Bruce? Good. How are you? Good. I got two questions for you. Uh, what do you think of St. Louis's off season? And then, do you think Chicago is going to have a better year this year? Good questions. Take uh, very five good cookies. questions. And here, here's my answer to this. And I really believe St. Louis made an awful lot of moves, but I don't know how much better they're going to be. I think they think they're going to be better. But anytime you make a lot of moves, it, t it takes a lot of time to get ready. I, I like Ryan O'Reilly at center, um, but uh, I think they're still not going to beat the Minnesota Wild. So there you go. As far as the second question, we never want Chicago to look good. I hope they get two <laughs> points. Imagine if uh, Corey, I mean, a lot is going to depend on Corey Crawford there. Yeah. How about that seven-game road trip you, ha you guys have that's bookended by St. Louis twice? Yeah, I know. I mean, kind of weird. But you know, sometimes uh, road trips, if they're if the right, if it's at the right time and things are really happening the right way, can be fabulous. And and uh, a seven game road trip, it uh, if you start off on the right foot, it's going to be. It usually ends up a really good road trip and gets it out of the way. Those road trips, I call a ten pounder. That's how much I weighed I gained uh, at the end of it. <laughs> trivia or a question? Uh, my name's Ryan from West St. Paul, and I'll do trivia. All right. Uh, let's see. You want an easy one or a hard one? Give me an easy one. I want some of that athletic swag. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what is Bruce Boudreaux's nickname? The good one. And Alex, like if, you want, a good if you want a hint, I'll give it to you. The good I'll nickname. He was the, the, the nickname of the best wild player in the history of the organization. Gabby? Gabby, there you go. I have no idea, did you? You want a beanie or do you want a, uh, a shirt? 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 Okay. Uh, we're going to have to look at sizes. How about this? Uh, hang out for a second and then I'll figure out uh, sizes here because I, I will say they might not fit you. Uh, hey, Brian from Woodbury and I'll try the trivia. Okay, trivia. Um, where does Bruce Boudreaux in the history of the NHL rank in points percentage? As a coach. As a coach. As a coach. <laughs> so oh, a little a behind Gretz and the Yeah, uh, we're all pretty much. There's, there's. Oh. Yeah, we'll say number one. Number two. But, uh, but that's good enough. And then when you're number two, you try harder. That's right. He's number two to Scotty Bowman all time in points percentage for, goal, for uh, coaches. Which is pretty dang amazing. You want a shirt or a. Uh... You got a a medium. I got a small. Here, we're going we're to figure out sizes after. So we got two. You might want to stay on the right just so I, I have a, I'm a hard, I'm, I don't count well. Name. I'm um, Jordan from Apple Valley. I think I've met you before. You have? Uh, maybe not. Uh, I'll do a trivia too. All right, trivia. Um, what food does Bruce Boudreaux despise? Despise. And if you can't get it on the first try, I'll give you a hint. Gee whiz. I'll, I'll, take, the, I'll take the hint because I'm not sure. Gee whiz. Let's see. What's a good hint? I just he, li one. He, yeah. he likes just, it eh. only on pizza. Gee whiz. Is, is this a traditional topping? Gee whiz. Yes. It's a very traditional topping. Jeez not paying whiz. attention. <laughs> A, a cheese, a type of I hate cheese. I'm really a, a fussy eater. He hates eater, cheese, and I'll only eat it if there's a, a hat on a pizza. Shirt. Sure. All right, time. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wait. So we got 
I got four shirts of really bad sizes. I'm just t- warning you right now. So, so I got we've given away three shirts. I got one left, and we'll figure that out in a second. But th- you might have to either shrink it or gain a lot of weight. Um, <laughs> l- just a quick cheese story. So really quick. So Bruce hates cheese except for it's on pizza. Here's a great story. So a couple years ago, we're in Edmonton, and he's in a bad mood because we just come from Vancouver, and you guys played well and lost, if I'm right. Yes. And so they practice at the Rexall place. It's the first time all of us have been in this arena. And then the, the, the uh, food prep people come with a big cart full of chicken parmesan sandwiches. And Bruce comes out after practice for lunch and sees that there's no chicken parm sandwiches without cheese and has... Nope. I wouldn't say meltdown. But I, I mean, wouldn't say meltdown, but let's just say meltdown. No. He's not it, happy. It was about, all it was all like a game. Yeah. Like I mean, I wasn't really mad. He, d- he I mean, he actually I could afford to lose a yeah. miss he, a meal he was or actually, two. Actually, he know. wasn't really a meltdown. He was putting on almost a comedy show for the for the beat writers that they put cheese on the chicken parm, and that's how we all learned that he had chicken. The only reason why I remember the time, the date, the place, all this stuff, is that the Wild were really they were struggling. I remember we were in Dallas just like a week or two before, and you said. I asked you who the first line center is, and you're like, we have three checking lines or something, or something <laughs> like that. Um, and he was not in a great mood. So we go to Edmonton. They played great the night before. The message after the game was build off this game. You know, go on a little streak here. That night, the Wild play well. They go into overtime. Koivu scores an overtime winner, and the Wild were, by March 1st, the best team in the league. They went on an absolute terror. Uh, and, and, and it was, started with his of, cheese meltdown, yeah, chicken parm meltdown. Yeah, that was the start of the 11-game yep. winning streak. Or I should just real quick look at my, uh, make sure that we're not going over here. Zach's probably uh, freaking. Nope, we got a couple more minutes. Name. Hi, Coach. Uh, my name is Ken from West St. Paul, and I just had a question. What do you do uh, when players are in slumps? Can you help them? Do you coach them? I, mean, I, I think you do a lot of things. I mean, it, the one thing, you know, as a, an ex-player, we've all been into slumps before. I mean, the one thing you really don't want to do is make sure that, or at the beginning at least, sit them out all the time. Uh, I think you got to give them a chance to get back into it. Uh, I remember having a player that wasn't playing very well at the beginning, and, and I was talking to my assistant. I said, I'm going to double shift this guy all night. I'm going to play him until he drops because it, and sometimes it's better to get these guys on the ice a lot more than it is to to uh, make them pay the price and, and not play because they're not playing good. Now, uh, on the other token, I mean, if they're not playing good and they're not helping the team, sometimes you have to uh, you have to sit the even the best players uh, don't play as much. But I would have liked to thought that as a, if I was a player and I wasn't going good, then I know eventually I'm going to get good. So play me more. Let me play my way out of this. Take a cookie. Name and where you're from. Trivia or question? Just a question for the coach. John from Moundsview. Coach, you look like you like to eat. What is your favorite food here at the fair? And I assume it's not cheese curds. No, I, I'm a real, I'm a real big salad kind of guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, um, a hot dog. No, I'm not doing a pork chop on a stick. I just don't want to be called the names if somebody sees me eating a pork chop on a stick. <laughs> Take a cookie. You want trivia or a question? I want trivia. Okay. And I know you're going to get this because, as you can see by Vicky, she's wearing an athletic T-shirt, which means that she actually reads what I write, which clearly none of you guys do. And that she doesn't <laughs> need one. Yeah. So Yeah, exactly. But so, I yeah, you're going to go for the beanie. 
Um, how many numbers did Bruce Boudreaux wear for the Toronto Maple Leafs? It's a tough question because it's the most in history. It's the most in history, and the joke of it is that we asked him. We were in Toronto when somebody's number was being retired, and we asked you. My like, number was retired three times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we asked you, uh, like, when are they going to name your number, and this mm -hmm. is when we learned that he had this many numbers. Well, if there were three to begin with, I'm going to say six. You are dead on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. There's another T-shirt. That just goes to show so you how many times got, I was sent down. Um, <laughs> so here are the numbers. I actually wrote them down. Do you know them? I actually, know. let's see if you know them. No, I don't know. I know. Um, name, name, name 11, 12, um, 19, 32, 28, and... I didn't wear eight, did I? No. no. And if you were 32, that wasn't listed. 35 was listed. 35. I knew okay. there was a goalie somewhere in there. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if the Wild have any players with this number. Um, what's Ryan Kessler's number? Ryan Kessler? Yep. He plays for Anaheim. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> 17. Oh, I wore 17, too. See, none of these numbers, any of the other players... Uh, war, so they say, let's give it to Boudreaux. When we send him down, we'll just give him another number if somebody else comes up and gets his name, gets stays. <laughs> let's do this. Let's take a break. Final segment of the show coming up. We're going to do more of this. Uh, this was kind of fun. We got, um, and I got more swag to give away. Yeah. And we have uh, B-52s and Boy George tickets. They're hot sellers. How about this? If you don't ask a question, I'm giving you these tickets. How about yeah. that? We'll be back on the fan. <laughs> Broadcasting from the great Minnesota get-together, this is The Fan. I've been trying to do it right. I've been living a lonely life. I've been sleeping here instead. I've been sleeping in my bed. Sleeping in my bed So show me family Russo from The Athletic uh, back here at The Fan. Final segment of the show. It's been a great show with uh, Bruce Boudreaux. A lot of fun, a lot of laughs, and uh, things like that. Um, again, uh, we got... You have a final segment. If you want to ask the Wild uh, coach about anything with the team this year... I also, uh, again, how about this? Uh, we got three hats and a uh, shirt, but you had to be triple XL or know somebody is triple XL to uh, want to wear that one. Um, so uh, don't be shy. Come on up. Do you have a question? Uh, oh, <laughs> I don't know where Parrish went. He might have left. He might have left. That last segment. Here we go. You have a question? I like your hat. St. Paul Saints hat. I was out. Uh, oh, you know what? We didn't tell. I, so I played in that Wiffle Wars 2 the other day at CHS Field. Guess who played? Who? Not, I mean, JT Brown, Felino, Jason Zucker, but Andrew Height. Oh, really? Yeah, Whitey stepped in and played. How did you Very look? good. Better than me. Well, there's a shock. Yeah, I made okay. contact this year, though, okay, so I, was, uh, I, was, I did well. Question Where are you from? I'm from uh, St. Michael. My name's Doug. And, nice. Uh, the question I have for you, Bruce, is with the lack of any big moves during the off season, 
uh, I, I think a lot of Wild fans are wondering how how hampered were uh, Nino and Charlie Coyle from those early injuries they had last year, and can we expect a, a big improvement from those two players? Well, uh, personally, I really think we're going to see a big improvement, and and hampered, they've never been hurt before, either one of them, and uh, uh, I think it took its toll, and I think even more so on Charlie. Uh, Nino did the same leg twice in two different things, and I don't think he ever got going because of it. But uh, well, with Charlie, he also he played through two two injuries to his wrist that he ended up getting wrist surgery uh, on both of them in the summer. So uh, I expect uh, I would be shocked if these guys don't come in and are are so good this year. Like I mean, as good as they've ever been, and you add that to Zach. Uh, being healthy for the first time in the two years at least that that I've been here, and um, if Suter's ready to play, which I think he will be, then I, I think we're going to surprise an awful lot of teams. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, my name is Tom Schultz from Hopkins, and I have a question for Mark. Race from Hopkins. Butt row. Okay, Mark, being a former NHL All Star that you are, two thousand once upon a time. This is going back farther when you used to play for St. Cloud State. Okay. When you used to play against the Gophers, what was your favorite moment? Uh, the first time we beat them in Mariucci Arena uh, in overtime and I scored the hat trick for the uh, OT winner. All of them set up perfectly by Matt Cullen. So I thank Matt Cullen for pretty much the majority of my career. Matt Cullen, I uh the other, uh, we're, we're here on uh, Saturday, and a uh, guy came up, and <laughs> I had same thing, list Mark Parrish's favorite, uh, uh, you know, former teams, and the guy, he goes, St. Cloud State, and he goes, Moorhead. Moorhead. Which is where Matt Collins from. That's just a the dagger man, in the heart for a Bloomington Jefferson boy. A dagger in the heart. Yep, this took him for, uh, for Matt Cullen. <laughs> Wish I had his career. I co- it's funny, you guys are on the list. I covered you multiple times. I covered him three times. Maybe not be done. Yeah, He's not done. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yep, go. Hi, I'm Julie from Woodbury. Hello. And, um, are we still doing trivia? Or yeah, sure. Now? Okay. okay what is, I'm going to have to think on the fly here. What where, do you, is, where do you live in Woodbury? Uh, Don't name your street. Uh, <laughs> well, because I live in Woodbury. I just wanted to know. Oh, okay. I, I like that, Eric. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is Bruce Boudreaux's favorite college? That he never attended. That he never attended. But they beat Michigan the other night. Ooh. Notre Dame. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Wow. Do you want a hat? Or a triple XL shirt? Or, Might be a little big on you. Help with that B on your back? Okay. No. Here you go. Somebody want to help her with that B on her back, please? Oh, my name's Caden Meyer, and I'm from Amory, Wisconsin. And my question is, what is your favorite moment as a coach in the NHL? Great question. Wow, that is a really good question. And I have, um, well, there's so many. Like, I've had so many great moments, I think, uh, other than the ultimate one, which hasn't arrived yet. But I think um, uh, one was the first trip going back to uh, Winnipeg with uh, Timu and uh, on the and uh, the the way the the crowd uh, every time he touched the puck they went nuts. The, whether we were winning or losing was was a great moment. Um, 
when we the Caps um, finally won uh, the first the first playoff round against the the uh, the Rangers in a game seven, and it was the first one they'd won in in ten years. First round they they'd won in, um, and beating um, Calgary for the in the second round uh, and ended up going to the the third round was was another really good moment. But uh, those things. Those things are great NHL moments, winning the Calder Cup, winning the East Coast League Championship, winning the I International League Championship. We're all great moments for me. Where is, uh, do you want to answer a trivia question? Bruce Boudreau trivia question? We'll help you, okay? Um, how many division titles, and this is again off the top of my head, so I hope I'm right. How many division titles in Bruce Boudreau's first nine years as a coach did he win? Eight. Wow, that's awesome. You are a genius. Wow. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Now you got to subscribe to The Athletic after the show. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I wanted to ask you a question. So I called Bo- Ben Boudreau the other day, who, by the way, is a chip off the old block. By the way, I like how Crystal just conveniently didn't show up during the show. I think I was going to... Yeah, you were going to grab her, too. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was telling me a story about uh, you maybe taking a big handful of potpourri once. Well, this is an interesting story, and it leads into the whole 9-11 thing. Um, when I was with the L.A. Kings, our director of player personnel's daughter was getting married in uh, Lake Placid. So me and my, my friend, who who's the scout for L.A., his name's Ace Bailey, was... Uh, uh, we drove up there, and we missed lunch. We had to take a ferry and everything else. So when we got to the room, and the room was dead dark, um, uh, we, we were just looking for something to eat. And he said, here, eat these peanuts. So I grabbed these things, and I said, geez, they really, they really taste stale. And uh, it was potpourri. And, uh, <laughs> so, but the funny thing was that weekend, we were going to camp the next weekend. And at that... Uh, at the at the wedding, Andy Murray, who was the coach, had said, "Listen, I want you to come up on Monday instead of Tuesday." And uh, Monday was September 10th. Tuesday would have been September 11th, because my flight was uh, planned for September 11th with Ace Bailey, and they changed it two days before to September 10th. And luckily, I was I got the change in the flight because. The September 11th was the flight that went into the American Airlines building. Wow. And um, so I, I really escaped that. So every year uh, before, before um, uh, training camp, uh, we have a coach's dinner because that's why he wanted me to come up. He wanted to have a special coach's dinner on September 10th before training camp started on the 11th. So uh, I continue that because I was so lucky that if, if he hadn't have decided to have that, I, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh. And, and he just, he wouldn't change his flight, right? That's and, what... and Ace, the whole way back from, to uh, Boston, uh, when we were coming from the wedding, I tried to get him to change his flight uh, from, because he was coming up the Tuesday morning, and he wouldn't change it because it would have cost the organization too much money. And, and I remember him. Uh, dropping me off at the door and saying, listen, I'll just see you Tuesday. Mm. It's not a big deal. You know, it costs a little bit too much, but we'll see you Tuesday. And uh, the rest is history. And, uh, I mean, the, the one thing I remember about writing the story about this that you told me is, is you know, just when, when Dave Taylor walked in to tell you guys about this, and the first thing didn't you think of is that you're, 
didn't Ben, Andy, and your daughter not even know that you weren't on the plane? No, they didn't. They didn't know because I mean they lived in Canada with their their mother, so um, they saw what happened and they ran out of school mm-hmm. at that time, and because they thought I was on the plane, so I mean they were phoning my my wife, uh, and it was crazy because I mean it's uh, they didn't know and the kids were panicking, so it's a. Uh, it's quite a. It was quite an ordeal, and and I don't think it's ever been, a, you know, seeing a, a a general manager or anybody as emotional as Dave no. Dave got when he had to address the team on what had happened. So it was. Uh, it holds a pretty special place in my heart um, that day. And I, I think I've told you this. I met Ace Bailey once, and it was three months before 9/11. 2001 draft is in South Florida, and the prospects were at Incredible Ace and Draft Hotel. Uh, where the L.A. Kings were staying was also the media hotel, and I gave Ace and Jeff Moeller, the PR guy for the uh, for the Kings, a ride back to the hotel, and it was, and that that was my only time ever meeting Ace Bell. What a special no. man! Just to yep. let you know, like he was Wayne Gretzky's um, uh, enforcer friend. Like he would he would protect Wayne everywhere he went. Yeah. But it, and he was the tough guy in the 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 '72 Bruins and everything like this. But if you got to know him and you went to his house, the first time I went to his house, what he did was he raised chickens. And he had this one little chick that would just follow him all, all <laughs> over the house, everywhere. He would just follow Ace wherever he went. And so you can picture a big six foot two, 225-pound <laughs> man, a big like this. He's got a little chicken following him around all over the place. His heart was as big as all outdoors. Mark, Mark Bavis was also on that flight, and I'm pretty yeah. sure he went standby. Um, yes. On that plane yeah. to go with Ace, uh, Mark. What was it? Uh, we're also here with Mark Parrish. I mean, I've never asked you this. What was it like playing for a team in New York during 9/11? Uh, it was incredible. Uh, to, you get you really to see firsthand how that biggest city in our country the, just came together. It, it, it shrunk in size, and uh, everybody became a family. Uh, the the hard edge that New Yorkers kind of seem to have around them just vanished instantly. And the, the support that they got, the first responders, is when we were, I was on Garden City, so we were out on Long Island, and there was, in our neighborhood, our township, there was 70 people in one of the towers that worked mm-hmm. in, one of the, in one of the towers. So there was neighborhood parties and gatherings. And one of the things that they had, or that we realized, was, was us one of the few escapes that they had from next it's it's everywhere the, the, there was smoke for months yeah. you know, the, the the buildings were on fire for months when we came back a week later we we left the 10th to go up to lake placid for our camp and when we came back the 15th 16th whatever it still looked like it was just on fire i mean there was just there was that much smoke still coming up yeah. and the way that they came together just blew my mind well, i remember the panthers we were there at the end of october that year so a month and a half later and uh, we got a personal tour of of the memorial of of still yeah. the, the the you know the the place yeah yeah I mean, you know I mean I just remember the yeah. smell still Ground it was just zero, terrible yeah. yep you got uh, we need a mic uh, just Sorry, real quick <laughs> over here there comes Jeff hi Bob from St Paul just uh, wondering the what you see is the difference between like a really good junior college player versus somebody who could be a good player in the NHL what What's kind of that fine line that differentiates the? the Jeez, I don't. I really don't know. Um, only because I've never really been a scout. But if I was to if I was to scout seventeen year olds and sixteen year olds, uh, the the first thing you, you look at is can they skate? You know, and then uh, 
um, body composition almost are they, they big can they can they move and and then hockey sense and then the the last thing um, w- would be um, to me is is how they compete I mean even though it's a real important issue I mean how they can those three things but I mean skating is is the is to me the most important in, in today's world anyway when there's not a lot of hitting crystal comes right at the end so she doesn't have to go on the air <laughs> Bruce, why is this year different? Why you, you added Greg Pattern, you added JT Brown, Maddie Hendricks, Eric Fair, uh, maybe Jordan Greenway on the team. Why is this year different? Uh, you know what? Uh, I know people are going to think that, okay, listen, we didn't make a big splash. We didn't do this. I just feel that this team is different. I feel um, that if coming in, in, we have something to prove, and I think this core has something to prove, and, and I think we will play that way with that little chip on our shoulder all year long. And I think the, the young guys are going to come of age. And I think the older guys that we got are going uh, to really make a big improvement. Uh, but, I mean, most importantly, I think our defense is as good as any team in the league right now. And when you've got good, good defense and good goaltending, I think you're going to win. Yeah, well, Bruce, really on, on, on a holiday to come down to the State Fair and, and co-host the show with me. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming by. Um, honestly, in, a, in, a, like, in several years down the road, 10, 15 years when your coaching career is over, if you ever want to host, we'll call it Bruso Radio. Um, we'll, we'll, it'll be just two of us. I think we could do this on and on and on. I could I could tell a lot more stories. But they may not be as clean, but uh, who knows what's going to happen Don't, in 10 Those years. are the ones we all yeah. want to hear, though. As, as good as Bruce was today, he is made for a podcast where maybe you could drop a couple, like, litter a couple little fun words, you know? Tell you some. mean if people saw the... HBO special, yes. they would know what they're talking about? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you don't know, maybe go to YouTube, and Bruce has got some highlight videos on there, not when he was a player. No, and they're not good highlights either, but it's fun. Yeah. Well, it was really kind of you to come down here. We'll have to do this a couple times. How, just how much are you looking forward to this week here? I can't wait. can't wait to, to watch. Uh, uh, you know, it's like when you see your, your, your family, when you haven't seen them in a while, and and we haven't seen a lot of the guys, or I haven't seen a lot of the guys since the season ended. And uh, I will see most of them tomorrow and, and at practice. And I'll be really, really excited. That means it's the start of the season, and we can't wait for hockey season. Zach, back at the studio. Thank you. Bruce Brujo, everybody. Thanks for coming out. Now in the Holiday Station Stores Traffic Center. Well, on this Labor Day, we are seeing a slowdown on the southbound side of 35W, hanging up from 95th Avenue to Lake Drive. Just a small hang-up eastbound 94 at County Road 18 to County Road 19. I'm Dylan with Traffic on the Fan. It's brought to you by Nature Valley. When you unwrap a Nature Valley granola bar, you know what you see? Granola. That's because our ingredients are right there. The only thing you can't see? How much you'll love it. Nature Valley.